0: This is the Drive-In Podcast. Take one. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Welcome welcome to episode 71 of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have the Express Checkup with yours truly, Dr. O. We have our trailer roundup, and then we have our review of Paul Thomas Anderson's most recent release, Ricky Flix's. I would say arguably his most anticipated release of 2021, Licorice Pizza. And then we finally have our Paul Thomas Anderson movie rankings, the one and only PTA. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy. The 71st episode of the Drive In Podcast. Hattie Duty, episode 71. The Drive In Boys are on. Ricky Flex, how are you? How has your weekend been?
1: Good. No, uh, definitely a movie weekend. It was a big movie weekend for me. Just honestly, just been watching movies. How about yourself, Dr. L.
0: Big time movie weekend, mainly because up in the northeast here, yeah, we had a our first big storm of the year. Huge storm. People are working from home. People don't have to go into work, okay, necessarily, right? You have that remote option for a lot of people. So maybe someone's uh, putting on a movie as they're getting work done, right? Maybe a rewatchable. Ricky Flicks, were you watching anything during the day on a Friday?
1: Uh, no, some of us have to work. But um, after after the uh, after that, I did watch a movie. And it was before me and you went to the movie theaters that night. But uh, I'll just preface it by saying this: 2021. There's been a lot of Twitter talk and social media talk about. Oh, this is the year of Andrew Garfield. This is the he's been in three films this year. This is the year of Bradley Cooper. He's been in two films this year. Great Mm -hmm. performances by them. But are we forgetting? It might be the year of Ben Affleck. I watched The Tender Bar. Oh. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime release. It actually released on January 7th, so not in 2021, but in the same Academy or awards season or awards year, it will be counted towards. And I'll say this first, it wasn't a good movie. It was not good. Um,
0: mm.
1: not good. But uh
0: Clooney misses I, again.
1: But I will say this though. Ben Affleck's good. He was really good. The 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 praise that you hear is now verified. It's verified he is really good in it and my ty Sheridan has hesit- hesita- hesitation I start I said it at the beginning of ready player one I said it again at card counter and now three t- third times the charm he's not very good so he's you're out very good I'm you... out on Ty Sheridan he has to he has to do something and he couldn't do anything next to Ben Affleck next-man he struggled couldn't do next couldn't do anything next to Oscar Isaac he couldn't do anything in us or not do anything but he was to me, at least in Ready Player One, he wasn't great in a Spielberg film, just kind of a letdown for me right now. So Ty Sheridan, I'm out. I'm out on Ty Sheridan. In on Ben Affleck being back though.
0: And he's like Ty Sheridan's getting those opportunities working with George Clooney, right? You talked about Spielberg, you worked with uh Schrader. Paul Schrader. So it's se- it seems like he has every opportunity, but it seems like he's squandering it at every turn. At least to uh, me, he is. So I don't think he was great. In the card counter, especially when you're going like one-on-one with an Oscar Isaac. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily terrible. I've yet to see the tender bar, but as a Ben Affleck fan, I need to see it because I've only heard great things about his performance.
1: I am so proud of Ben Affleck. The last duel, I had my hesitations after seeing, oh, he had the highlights in the trailer and you're saying, oh, what is he doing in the last duel here? Like, what are we doing in this robe? But then he he uh, he pulled it off. He pulled it off, and he did it very well. And then he did it again here in Tender Bar. Now, will the academy uh, say like recognize it? Recognize it? Probably not. It, definitely am I, won't. Yeah, definitely won't. To be honest, but does it get me hope for his future? Perhaps. And you said something uh, interesting to me about Ben Affleck, and is will he ever get recognized for his acting abilities? And you said maybe as a supporting. I don't, I don't want to like take your thunder, but I feel like after seeing Tender Bar, I'm in total agreement with you.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. It seems like, I think it was after this year, 2021, where we had him shining in The Last Duel, and especially with his, with his best friend alongside him, like Matt Damon. I thought Affleck was twice the actor that Damon was in that movie, and then him in The Tender Bar, and it seems like he's excelling in these roles where he doesn't have to do too much. And this is coming from someone that is a filmmaker, is a producer, right? And he's known as that A-list star. Sometimes when he takes a back seat, right, he can like steal the show a little bit, right? Because he has that like that past career as a leading man where it's like when he comes on the screen, people are just drawn towards him immediately. And so if he has those like scene stealing roles, that's where he's going to get his Oscar. He doesn't have to carry the movie on his back like he has in other projects in the past.
1: Right, and like if we, I mentioned Bradley Cooper, and he was in the lead in Nightmare Alley, but he's also supporting in Licorice Pizza in a limited screen time. But he's so good in that that people are saying, in his like limited screen time, he should be nominated. And I might be saying that. I'll wait till the review. But I can't wait to talk about that. Oh my gosh! But best scenes of the movie. I feel like Ben Affleck now, like Bradley Cooper, he's still, like, after seeing Nightmare Awe, like, he is still, like, with the Adam Drivers, with the Leos, with, like, he can carry a movie headline with a big-time director and push for, get recognized at least for a nomination at the minimum, whereas Ben Affleck won't. He's not up there with the caliber of the actors I just said. I agree his angle will have to be supporting if he ever does. He probably doesn't even want like an Oscar for he, like he cares so much more about filmmaking and writing and it seems like producing. So he might not even care. He's probably, he's probably doing tender bar. Oh, like I'll just do this for Clooney. Have fun with it. And last duel, I reunite with my boy, Matt Damon. Like he's probably just having fun acting and then he's going to put his efforts and his focus towards like directing and writing.
0: It seems like he's like Affleck has moved past that stage in his career where Cooper is right now, where he can be the leading man and then be nominated cons- on a consistent basis. It seems like that is gone for Affleck. Like he, you're right. Like he, where he is most successful is in the director's chair, which is crazy to say based on his celebrity <laughs> status. I mean, he's dating Girls Jennifer love Lopez them. for God's sake. Yeah. So this is nuts. That like and he was saying- Ana de Armas. Yeah, and, and they're on a movie together. And like they got underwater coming out. Uh, deep water, deep on water. Deep water. Oh, underwater was Kristen Stewart. Deep yeah. water coming on Hulu this year. Um, I think he's got something else in the in the works too. Uh, I'll double check in a sec. But you met, you brought up Bradley Cooper. Uh, it seemed like A Star is Born really took a toll on him back in 2018. We really haven't seen him come back for a project until this uh, 2021 with Licorice Pizza and Nightmare Alley. We happen to see Nightmare Alley. This past week at in theaters. What was your experience like, Flex? Did you like the movie?
1: I really liked it. I think that it was tough to watch at, at parts. Tough to watch as in from the actual content in it and, like, what's going on. Like, the first five minutes, like, it's like, whoa. Like, this is going to be uh, something violent and gory um, and gritty. But it was I, – I really liked it a lot. Like, I think that mm. – it, December 17th, it's also a Disney uh, production. Like Searchlight is under the Disney framework now. It was uh, weird seeing property. that when the movie
0: opened. Right.
1: Searchlight had the Fox music. I'm like, this is, this is strange. Right. So now it's technically a Disney property and they released at the same time as Spider-Man. So no one's really have seen has seen this movie. And if you have, like, I would, We would love to hear your thoughts on it, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very good, a little predictable, but very good. And I thought Bradley Cooper, I love Bradley Cooper. Like this is like, yup. He is still a list still like, like high of the highs to me. I think he's amazing. And it's a travesty. He doesn't have an Oscar. I think he's amazing.
0: Like I I thought the movie was decent. I didn't think I don't think of it as highly as you do. I think Bradley Cooper was very good. I don't put it in that top tier of his performances in his career as a leading man. He I has a huge. A,
1: he has a huge catalog, though.
0: Right, I'm saying it's not up there. I'm saying it's uh, this is second tier in terms of performances. I don't think he deserves an Oscar nomination for it. There are times where he uh, stole the show. I mean, he kind of had his Oscar moment right at the end of the movie with no, uh, with no reveal from me, no spoilers here. But he kind of had his Oscar moment. He had his 15 seconds of him just going balls to the wall and just I don't know. It's it's like that. That stare at the, stare at the camera moment, and then t- Del Toro telling him, "Go for it, do exactly." Your best. Yeah, um, so Just letting if, him do whatever. I, I, as a movie, the movie as a whole, I was thinking it's kind of it was kind of false advertising with a Del Toro movie. You knew you were getting a psychological thriller, but the scares personally, I didn't think were there. I thought the first half of the movie was very slow, but third act very entertaining. And uh, although predictable, it was a cool to see. Um, it was cool to see. Blanchette kind of go all in on the third act and Bradley Cooper, two of like those a-listers at like the peak of their powers, you know? So that was uh fun to watch. And it was like a pure Kate Blanchett role too. You know, it was like her yeah. looking regal Sharp. acting regal above everybody, Mark. like absolutely perfect in terms of dialogue, right? Doesn't skip a beat. I thought she was awesome. Uh, and Rooney Mara, I wish he had more screen time. because I think she's going to be amazing. Also makes a checkup today.
1: Yeah. I thought, because before this movie you heard like Rooney Mara maybe getting not a nomination here for supporting not for me even though I think she's amazing I think this is really Bradley Cooper's and Kate Blanchett's movie less yeah. so than a Rooney Mara so I didn't really see why that like why that those rumblings were happening um and I, like I will also say I'm not a big like jump scare or like horror scare type person so the less of those for me I actually thought like this movie was effective and I just I was surprised as you not to see as many of them, but I didn't need them in this movie. Yes. The first half might've been a little slow, but you're also like figuring out like what's going on in this, in this carny world. It's like such a weird it's world. So, you got so, Willem Dafoe yeah. like doing his thing. You got uh, uh hereditary. Uh, oh, Tony Collette, Tony Collette. Like she's in this. And, some, and then her uh, husband here, Ed Seacott, I always call him eight men out. Eddie uh, straight herring. Thank David you. Straight here. I always call him Ed Seacott because he's Ed Seacott and Ed Eatman out, but also was in Nomadland. He was great in this and limited screen time here. He was good. I wish I he had... I honestly think. Ron I'm Perlman. The, Ron Perlman. I honestly think you should have had more straight men in here because I think that that the uh, relationship between Cooper and him was good and should have been developed more to kind of have more understanding throughout the movie. But I digress. I really liked it. Obviously more than you, but I really liked it.
0: Yeah, it was decent. Um, was it better I, than Shape of Water? No. Really? No, I, I actually enjoyed Shape of Water. Hmm. As shocking as that sounds, but I do think this was not as good as Shape of Water. I think uh, no, nah. I don't think Shape of Water deserved to win Best Picture, but I do think it's a good movie. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. R- Ron Perlman. Is there anyone who's more typecast into like masculine roles than him?
1: Sounds of like Anarchy hyper masculine
0: everything like don't look up we saw earlier this year hellboy right mm-hmm, with also mm-hmm. del toro he plays bruno the strongest man alive in this movie and it, does, you're right does. it was cool to see like that that Carney like side of things because that's where like del toro thrives he loves like looking on and diving into like those outsiders those outcasts of society and then like uh so shedding a light on them that uh, people can like, all people can kind of have a different perspective and look on, and some people can actually relate to. Uh, you know who also had a massive 2021 that we need to bring up from that movie. We Nightmare Alley, to, Willem yeah, Dafoe. We have to talk about Willem Dafoe. Five movies in 2021. Five, right? Yeah. Nightmare Alley, French Dispatch, Card Counter, Spider-Man: No Way Home. And then Zack Snyder's Justice League. We have five <laughs> Willem Dafoe movies in 2021. And he did reshoots for that. For the man S- is Sattercut, 67. So he did work. Yeah. 67 years old. And he's putting out five movies in one year. He's you a monster. Justice League Justice League's cheating a little bit. But he did do reshoots, though. I would like and uh, we're going to get him in the Northman in 2022. He's not mm-hmm. stopping. So he's still on that pursuit for uh that oscar that he still hasn't received and uh let's see if like if he can muster something up in 2022 because man he's earned it he's like the hardest working dude in show business that no one talks about he's but, in, he's constantly in movie theaters
1: yeah and uh he's gonna be in a lot of movies coming up he has a he's in one two three four five looking at his imdb he has oh, five man. movies coming uh besides and besides the northman so aquaman and, too right oh i I didn't even count that. So six. Is he in it? <laughs> it's not on his IMDB uh yet. So he might not even be in it, but that'll be hard to see. But I feel like it's Like he like he's obviously gone for the Oscars before, right? He's played Vincent Van Gogh and other uh oh, he was in French dispatch too.
0: Yeah, I said that. Then oh my
1: god. Everyone was in that movie though. But um I feel like it's like Ben Affleck, he just loves to work, like he just loves to act. And he's 67. Mm-hmm. Like, what else has he got to do, probably? How are you thinking he's that? he got to
0: get that honorary Oscar, you know? He's going to he, get that. He, if he, at eventually.
1: some point, he just loves film so much. They have to honor him and his, like, passion for it. And what he's done. I actually I actually, uh, recently, last week, watched Platoon. And he was great in that. Like, oh, he was. Yeah. Oh, he, my
0: God. Yeah. Like,
1: it was just, like, also, like, Willem Dafoe. Just one of the best out there, but not recognized. He is not as flashy as, like, a Bradley Cooper, like, on screen. Like, even in Nightmare Alley, make a uh they even like have, are self-aware that they say saying like oh like you're good looking honey like uh tony collette's character says to him uh-huh. but um willem Dafoe just one of the greats that's you've been
0: nice. doing it for decades now decades
1: consistent Man.
0: uh and speaking of legends here i just want to bring up one quote before we get to the checkup so my uh journal the, a journal for jordan right? Journals for Jordan. I think that's the name of it. A journal for Jordan. A journal
1: journal for Jordan. That's the
0: Denzel Washington directed movie that's coming out starring Michael B. Jordan. There was something interesting that I'm from the press tour there that I wanted to break up on this podcast. And I had an idea. I actually texted you earlier this week and your response was you animal. (laughs) So Michael B. Jordan says he wants to bring Denzel into the MCU. And he says, quote, I've got some ideas for that. End quote. So do I. And Honestly, like Denzel, he's accomplished everything that an actor can achieve. I know he's going into actual like directing, producing. That I know he wants a, he wants to continue his acclaim in terms of in that regard. But if he wanted to join the MCU, like no one would blame him. Like he's he's accomplished it all as an actor. Can you imagine him as Magneto in the MCU, Ricky Flex? I think that is like such spot on casting. I think it would nail it, nail it.
1: Yeah, that would be something. I know, like, uh, when you think Magneto uh, and you're thinking Ian McClellan's character, and then you think in the hall, and also Fast Spender and like the Holocaust, and like, you know, moving, like, when he's in the concentration camps, moving to trying to get that. Denzel as Magneto would be something. I would love to see Denzel as a villain in the MCU. Like, that would be, I think that would be something to see. And, um, yeah, definitely like, you get those vibes of the villainous and he's on the older side so that'd be like the strategic elements of it and like if he does have a superpower like you say a magnino's a good one because it's not a physical role per se it's Mm -hmm. more just like uh your presence and your wits and i think denzel uh, clearly exemplifies that and he's doing a tragedy Macbeth. for god's sakes like what else can (laughs) can signify that so i think like again you're an animal
0: yeah i think i think that's a just so perfect and I, I i bet feige's even thought of that already like they, they they like denzel he must have been contacted multiple times before by marvel to do something right they kind of look for those yeah. actors who have, who've done it all and uh like a Kate Blanchett, where they're just like hey just do this mcu movie and right. we'll give you a 10 million dollars you know
1: it's ugh, now i'm thinking about thor love and thunder at Kate Blanchette, like definitely be more ungarned. of an oscar type like uh more of a into the Oscar realm, not comic book realm. And now you got Christian Bale being the villain in the next Thor movie. Like on, and then you have Ethan Hawke with Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight. It's just right. amazing what they're doing. And Marshallah Ali, Mashallah oh, Ali and God. Denzel on the screen together. <laughs> oh would be my some, God. Like, Marshal, Denzel being the villain to marshallah That would be.
0: That <laughs> if, Ma, if Maharshala was a recast Professor X and then Denzel, no, oh. that wouldn't match. That wouldn't match. He's too young. He's too young. We already we just had that. Uh Interesting, Ricky Flex. Uh, let's get to the checkup. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, it's a big checkup. Let's check the audience's up. Pixar's Turning Red will no longer release in theaters and will release exclusively on Disney Plus on March 11th, much to the dismay of Pete Doctor. Next up on the checkup, Dev Patel, Ralph Fiennes, and Ben Kingsley, ben Kingsley have been cast alongside Benedict Cumberbatch in Wes Anderson's adaption, of the wonderful story of Henry Sugar for Netflix, The Roald Dahl Story. Next up, Sean Levy's The Adam Project, starring Ryan Reynolds, Mark Ruffalo, Zoe Saldana, and Mark Walter Scobel releases on March 11th on Netflix. The film follows a man who travels back in time to get help from his younger self to find their late father. Hmm. Next up, Sir Sidney Poitier has sadly passed away at the age of 94. Rest in peace, legend. He was the first black man to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. Rooney Mara has been cast as Aubrey Hepburn in a biopic for Apple TV Plus with Luca Guadagnino set to direct Rooney Mara, right? Supporting role in Nightmare Alley. Next, Andrew Garfield said he is definitely open to returning as Spider-Man again if it is, quote, felt right, end quote. The 2022 Golden Globe Awards will be a private event. It will not be live streamed. Results will be announced from a press release. Damn, really wanted to see those. Next, Scott Pilgrim anime series is in the works at Netflix. Creators Brian Lee O'Malley and Ben David Grabinski are going to write and executive produce the series. That's going to do it for the checkup this week. Ricky Flicks, which of these headlines? I mean, never mind. I'm not even going to ask you. Andrew Garfield is interested in returning to the role of Spider-Man if the, role, if the story's right. What are the odds this, this movie will happen? The return of the Garf master.
1: I don't know. Return of the Garf. I, I would love to see it. Like Garfield against Benham, Tom Hardy. That would be awesome to like two well, well-claimed actors going against each other that I would love to see that Garfield definitely don't want to see a Paul Giamatti Rhino coming back. So I think that might be a part of what he's referring to here. They even make the joke of that in no way home spoiler alert, but you have, you had to have seen it. It's made over $1.4 billion domestically, whatever, or, worldwide but um andrew garfield like i feel like he's moved on from this he's more towards the oscar realm more towards the acting like i like i would obviously personally i do want to see it but it just seems kind of odd to come back to the character but if you had to compare the three spider-man's love for the character for for spider-man between toby andrew and tom holland he clearly is the one that loves his character the most and it's not even close so this is like a situation where you believe it it just seems kind of odd that he seems like he's gone past this.
0: Yeah, I, I agree 100% with, with like uh, your take on his passion for the character. All you see on social media right now is quotes about him and his adoration for Spider-Man, the actors that played Spider-Man, and how he would be comfortable returning if there was a proper story for Spider-Man. And I think... I mean, Spider-Man No Way Home has given him potentially a second chance at this role he adores and that he has uh, had a passion for since he was a child. So, I mean, I, I after No Way Home came out, I gave it a, like a 5% chance this movie was going to happen. I'm like moving it up to like a 65% chance that this movie happens and, now. And it's crazy.
1: It's, it is crazy. And we, we talked about like with Morbius, like will Tom Holland's Spider-Man see Morbius or whatnot? And like we have Michael Keaton, like interacting with Morbius, Venom. We have Craven the Hunter with Aaron Taylor Johnson. Wow. Like all Garfield people,
0: and Taylor Johnson. That's what I'm saying. Crowd.
1: Garfield interacting with all these other Oscar nominated Oscar winners would be amazing. It would be amazing. And I feel like they need to have a Spider Man there. And if they're not going to have Tom Hollins, this solves the problem. This solves the problem that we've been discussing on this podcast since the, this, this podcast inception. This solves it. And I think that. As long as Hardy, who loves Venom, and seems like Circus wants to continue doing Venom movies, as long as they're okay with uh, moving forward, then garp and, and you obviously get Garfield, and then Morbius, like, that's coming out in April now, see how that does with Keaton and that as well. This is setting up to be an amazing franchise for Sony outside the MCU.
0: But do you think Garfield would want to do like three Spider, like three movies, three more movies as Spider-Man after after his experiences with Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2? Like, do you think he would actually want to devote himself to a franchise when he's coming off probably an Academy Award nomination for Tick, Tick, Boom and maybe and won. potential win? and potential when is he just going to come off that and say, say I'm jumping back into the Spider-Man franchise that's kind of wild but I guess if it's what his heart is he's like a guy who's like very emotional it looks like and sensitive and it feels like he's going to follow what his like what where his heart is taking him and it feels like that's what Spider-Man so I think like Amazing Spider-Man 3 I could see happening but can I see like him in three more projects that's kind of insane but like you see so many other like MCU characters do it, but they just never had the experience like Garfield had previously. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, like I'm, I'm in the perception that No Way Home was a perfect rack, wrap up to his story. My favorite parts, parts of No Way Home was with him in it. And I think he was clearly the best actor on screen along with Alain Defoe and, and Melina. I think it was a perfect wrap up. I think you should leave it as is. But if he is going to come back, he's probably seen Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Ethan Honk, Oscar Isaac, all these people that are Oscar nominated well-renowned actors critically coming into the mcu he's probably thinking On a i need i need to get into the mcu because he was in the mcu technically so he's like i need to get into this project and with his love spider-man i could see it happening and if he does do it you're playing spider-man you're not coming back for one movie you're committing to a trilogy so right. if he does come back your 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 expectation is three movies not just you,
0: you one. Know, if you're playing spider-man like in your you're kind of coming off a long hiatus. You got to expect you're coming back into like the second big superhero franchise behind Batman. Right. right? You know, like you're, you're going to get locked in. But and he,
1: he's still young. So he could do the movements. on like a Toby. He's, like only, in,
0: he's sub 40. I know, know.
1: So he could still do all those stunts and everything. Like Toby, that would be a different issue. He like, looks,
0: he looks significantly younger than a Toby Maguire. Yeah. Garfield, that is like Maguire. I, I think like there was a rumor I saw that's going around that like Toby Maguire is like working on like some type of deal where you would re- return again as like Peter Parker. Yeah, that's what I was. I, I don't even think I want to see that. I don't even think I, I want to see that. I, I, I think it was perfect where we got him. It was like that piece of nostalgia, but also like that reminder of like what he meant to us. I was just, just leave it. Just leave it. It was perfect. And- Garfield, Garfield, it's like we liked him so much compared to like his. Portrayal, like not his portrayal, but like what the movies, the result was for Amazing Spider-Man one and two. We we're him so much in No Way Home. We're like, I don't mind seeing that again. I don't mind that. And he's sub 40, he's only 38. So it's it, it could line up.
1: Yeah, it it definitely could line up. And I would love to see it. I kinda he's either got to fully commit to it or just leave No Way Home as it was. Perfect rap to your story, perfect ending to it. I
0: have a question, Ricky Flex. If you had to pick a villain in the Sony verse for Andrew Garfield to go against in the amazing Spider-Man three, who would you pick? So you got like Tom Hardy as Venom. Yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson as Craven. You have Michael Keaton as Vulture. Jared Leto as Morbius. Holy crap. Those are four amazing actors.
1: Yeah. So real quick, like I think it would be interesting to see Jared Leto and Andrew Garfield on the screen at the same time. That would be something.
0: That would be something.
1: But like Venom as a character, I feel has to go against Spider-Man. Has to. It's been, or it's, he's gone through two movies. We had it teased to us. Like, and that's obviously not gonna happen from the post credits. Something has to happen. So that would be the one to see. But to see him next to Jared Leto would be amazing. But also, I'll go from this angle. Michael Keaton going against two separate different spider men see what wow. they do. That might be the most intriguing. In solo movies, like for right. different that, so that'd that, be cool. That would probably be my like favorite to do. What they should do is Venom. And what will be the coolest would be Jared Leto and Garfield on the screen, if
0: you follow my logic. I, I think also like, like we have the Craven movie coming with Aaron Taylor Johnson, like that is a character fans have been like clamoring for, for a decade, they've been wanting to see Craven the Hunter on screen, I don't want to, I want to see him go against a Spider-Man, and I think it just matches up well in terms of like who Aaron Taylor Johnson is right his prestige his size, his age, like it matches well with Andrew Garfield. I I, Personally, I want to see that alongside Tom Hardy, Venom. Tom Hardy, Venom, they set a certain tone to that franchise. I don't know matches what the Amazing Spider-Man set. Maybe they want to go for something different. Maybe they want to kind of just uh, shape up like Andrew's like universe a little bit. So it's like, okay, more fits what Venom's going for. But in terms of like a dark, grittier story, one that's not going to be as lighthearted based on what Venom has brought us with Venom and then let there be carnage. I think I want to see him versus Craven the Hunter. I think that could be excellent.
1: How tall do you think Aaron Taylor Johnson is? 6'3". How tall do you think Andrew Garfield is? 6'1". Okay. Aaron Taylor Johnson's 5'11". Whoa. Andrew Garfield's 5'10".
0: Ah, perfect.
1: So, Andrew Garfield looks so much taller than that in my eyes because he's so slender. Aaron Taylor Johnson looks shorter than that to me because he's, like, more fit. Like, more Mm -hmm. built. So I think I I would love to see like they prop up Kraven a little more, make him even a little taller, and then just physically overpower Spider-Man. Just go Big get to Jack. the gym, do the Hugh Jackman Wolverine method, eat 10 steaks a day, and then just have Kraven versus Spider-Man, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Andrew Garfield have at it. That would be love awesome it. to see. That would be cool. Yeah. With the with, with the cloak, the orange like tiger coat or whatever. That would be amazing. Darken it a little bit. The not, beard, not get a huge
0: beard going. comic Yeah, mm-hmm. get the beard going. He can grow a good beard, too. Oh, great yeah, beard, Him and tenant. Oh, yeah.
1: great beard. Great mindset. I like Ricky Flex. Can never do it.
0: We like we could talk about this all day, but we got to move on mm-hmm, with the checkup mm-hmm. here. Um, I want to talk about Rudy Mara being cast as Audrey Hepburn in a biopic for Apple TV. Luca Guadagnino, Call Me By Your Name, such a direct. Um, this comes at an interesting time because something that was kind of lost in the checkup between the last two episodes Chris Evans is playing Gene Kelly, right? And he's, uh, he's going to be, Gene Kelly's going to be, like, in the movie, an imaginary friend to um, a someone on a Hollywood set in the 1950s, I believe it was, okay? So this comes at an interesting time because we got Hepburn there with Rooney Mara, Chris Evans, okay? And then we had Tom Holland being cast as Fred Astaire. There seems to be a lot of, like, biopics on Hollywood legends, right? Do you think this is too many in a short period of time?
1: It seems like it's too many, but then again, it's Hollywood, so you're always going to have these. And they love Hollywood. Hollywood loves Hollywood. <laughs> and similar to we talked about Elvis last week, the most anticipated movies been a long, like way too long for him to have a biopic. It's been way too long for Audrey Hepburn bi- biopic. Way too. Yeah. Early. And to have Rooney Mara do it, that is like stamp right of approval. Let's like that's amazing. I think that's a good honor. Like you have to have someone that is a, like talent very incredibly talented one of the be- best talents let alone harder uh, harder workers in, ta- in hollywood Reni mara is that so this is amazing i love the casting luca Guadamino, call me by your name is that's basically the only thing i know him for he's italian um that's the only thing i know about him call me by your name obviously very well renowned mm-hmm. so i'm gonna trust it and my last thought on this is apple tv again apple tv they're they're making their push now They're making their push, getting their connections here. We talked about it with Scorsese and other people here. This is their push. And it's going to be interesting to see once all these movies and series come out that we've been talking about, not like making the checkup here. We've been talking a lot about the flashy headlines. Let's see how they execute. Let's see if they can actually like Netflix has done now. Uh, uh, netflix has done prime has done sometimes but not like obviously we talked about tender bar here earlier so they've done sometimes sometimes have misses let's see if apple tv can collaborate with the filmmakers uh, properly and effectively such as netflix has done
0: i mean i think apple tv is fascinating right now like you brought up like we got these huge releases killers of the flower moon coming we see tom hank's relationship with Apple TV, Luca Guadagnino, man, they're, they're not only grabbing those great actors. We have Mara Shalali and Swan Song this year, but they have like those great filmmakers to pair with those, those critically acclaimed actors. So Rooney Mara, I can't wait. I want to see her do more, right? Obviously fabulous. And Carol, um, girl in the dragon tattoos, Rooney Mara, correct? Love it. Yes. Oh my God. Love that I, that's one of my favorite Love performances her, from an actress. Maybe ever like that is amazing. such an underrated movie. I would like to do a throwback review of that sometime. Um, Are, yeah. Are Catherine Hepburn and Audrey Hepburn related? Probably.
1: Hepburn's very rare name.
0: So I, I just looked this. Up. Let me check really quick. Uh, both women worked actively in the industry, but the, do they share the same bloodline? Why can't they just answer do yes? Do they or no? share the same bloodline? I, I I think I read it said false because I was gonna say like if we want someone to be involved with this movie. That has played a Hepburn before? Okay, oh. Kate Blanchett from *The Aviator*, right, to be a Catherine Hepburn, but I don't think they're related, dude. Yeah, they're not related. That's nuts! Didn't you automatically just think they were related?
1: I did Hepburns, but it makes yeah. sense. It's just like I'm an iconic
0: Hollywood it. name, and I thought it was just like passed on from generation to generation.
1: Yeah, that's, that's not, two yeah, that's icons not true. that
0: just happened to be named Hepburn.
1: That's nuts. And both in old Hollywood, like that era.
0: I wonder if there's both like their original name or maybe like Audrey changed her last name to Hepburn to be like, have that connection to Catherine, you know, that'd cool. be interesting. Yeah. Uh, moving on here, Ricky flicks. I want to talk about Pixar really quick. Pixar turning red, a major release that's been teased for the last two years. It's going to release exclusively on Disney plus. All right. Pete doctor, right. Famous director from Pixar had a quote, and he said about the ideas of his, like Pixar films going on Disney Plus, he said, quote, I think there's something big and monumental about a theatrical release. So to kind of skip that and know that people are going to be watching on their iPhones or whatever, question mark, and end quote, it seems that uh, he's not a fan of Pixar movies being released exclusively on Disney Plus. We had this happen with Onward, right? Do you, And it was also available with Luca. Do you... Agree Soul. with Pete Doctor here. Soul, do you agree Onward, with Pete Doctor? Yeah. Do you think that Pixar movies deserve the movie theater treatment over streaming?
1: So I do, and here's why: Pixar is the best, and clearly the best uh, animated uh, a- animated film producers there is. There is like of all time. There has been. There probably ever will be. Greatest success best, rate, and they only get better. To put them to the level of streaming. I think is not right. And I think during COVID, like when soul came out and onward, especially onward, cause that was right at the height of the pandemic. Right. That was just unfortunate circumstances there. Like that's, you needed to do that. Luca as well. You could say you needed to do that as well, but Pixar, they are bigger than any animated film. Like Mitch Mitchell versus the machines. Another film I watched this weekend. Didn't love, but didn't not like that. Isn't really? even close to Pixar? It's a I won't say it's, be- it's better than The Good Dinosaur. But besides that, every single Pixar film was better. than Cars 3? Okay. I didn't think of the Cars franchise. Um, Car- well, Cars 2 and 3, The Good Dinosaur, only movies from Pixar that aren't better than Mitchell versus The Machines. Wow. And people are saying that that, that, that might win an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film.
0: Yeah, so, over Luca.
1: Yeah, which is crazy to me. I love Luca.
0: I was a huge fan. I know you are. And I I was, I was, I was, I was was there the entire way. I haven't rewatched since I'm tempted to rewatch it just because of uh, this news. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll think to myself, what would have this been more enjoyable if I saw it in theaters, but sorry, I interrupted you. No,
1: I'm going on a little rant there, but basically what I'm saying is Pixar is so far ahead of everybody else in their game, in their craft, that to put them just as straight to streaming reduces their effect on Hollywood, on cinema and in theaters, because if you just keep consistently putting out their like animated movies on streaming, that means all animated movies will go to streaming. Because if the best of the best aren't even getting a theatrical release, then why have any other animated film go to release? So this is just putting all animated films down a pedestal to me. And I think Pete Doctor coming out and saying this, the Pete Doctor, I think is huge for theaters. So theaters, like that's a huge pro for you. You have Pete Doctor on your side. So I- it's big for them.
0: I think Pixar's earned the right to release movies strictly in theaters. They like they ha- they, they they should have power over their releases. And I, I would say, that's, I think it's because of the Trolls World Tour effect. Remember that way yeah. back in uh, 2020? Yeah. So that was a situation where we had uh, VOD went skyrocketing when Trolls World Tour was taken from theaters or they t- pulled back from theaters and made a VOD. It was the highest purchased movie on VOD like of all time or something like that. It was something nuts. But it's scary now because I think movie theater experiences need to be enjoyed by all ages, not just adults. And I feel like other than Marvel, like if kids are too young to see Marvel movies, they can see Pixar movies, right? Great movies that will give you great experiences. And so like these kids at a young age will be able to go to a movie theater and not be just used to staying at home watching on an iPad, watching on your TV. Like it's important that they can go to the theaters too. So when they get older, they have that tradition already set in place. So it's scary that Pixar is now resorted to what their third and fourth movie that are going to be on Disney plus. That's a little scary, right? I want to see that the numbers turn out. Like I wish there was a dual release at least just to see like, will kids actually still go right? I think this is also more for parents. This is just like a So parents can just put on a movie on VO on a Disney plus and they'll have, they don't have to take their kid anywhere. Right. You're robbing them of great experiences, right. As fans of movie theaters, I think it's wrong.
1: Yeah. And I still remember one of my favorite memories as a kid, when I was a little kid, one that I actually remember was when I was four, three or four, I remember going to see monsters Inc. in theaters. Mm -hmm. And actually I was with you, Dr. L I was with my, our other brother, big Mike. And Olek, our our father, and I remember seeing that movie, and I remember, I remember it, that so. fondly. And that's like one of my favorite movie theater experiences ever. It was like such an awkward day. I won't I won't get into the details. It was a weird birthday party for people, but uh, I actually remember that fondly. And you know who directed that? Pete doctor. doctor. But um,
0: my first movie was <laughs> A Bug's Life.
1: Yeah. So like it just shows like the power theaters Pixar for young and people. Pixar animated films have on kids and just not being able to see that th- uh, theatrically i think is a shame and it goes to your point so not to get all sentimental here but uh if pete doctor that's what pixar is, is though it is here,
0: sentimental and it and does P- get people should get in their feels about it
1: and pete doctor does represent pixar like he is pixar n- now like he's done up like i said Monsters Inc., inside out which critically like some say is the best pixar movie um and he's done soul and he's like he's producing lightyear. and i think he, and he's obviously he's a chief creator of pixar so he's a producer on all their films so he's a producer on lightyear and i'll tell you this doctor O, if lightyear doesn't get a theatrical release we riot
0: oh my god we riot. If, they, if they do that we might have to like just spend a podcast ripping on disney Plus. we would for have to riot. Two hours we would three. have to riot yeah i can't believe you that even you even just said that if i have to watch disney plus if i have to watch Buzz Lightyear, the new one, the origin story with Chris Evans on a TV, I will probably. It's a June. I, I don't know what it is. I'll probably It's a June release. A boycott Disney Plus.
1: It's a June release. And Turning Red comes out March 11th. I think Lightyear is June uh, 22nd. So three months later, three months, 11 days, whatever. If that. Like, that's not a short amount of time. I mean, that's a pretty short amount option. of
0: time. If it's even like a hybrid option where it's theater and Disney Plus, we riot. still boycott. Yeah, still boycott. We do not watch any piece of Disney Plus as it will kill me. I cannot watch some of these Marvel series potentially, but I will do so for in the name of Pixar.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy that we're even talking about this. Like, it's a shame.
0: All right. Uh, that's going to do it for the checkup this week.
1: One second. Sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry, but we didn't talk about it. My James Bond is in is in the news.
0: You're James Patel. Bond. Oh, yeah. So so the, the cast for the upcoming Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson film.
1: is the best recruiter of all time. He is just insane. Oh. I just wanted to quickly Dev say that. Dev
0: Patel, Ralph Fiennes, Ben Kingsley, Benedict Cumberbatch. And it, there's something about like a Cumberbatch teaming not teaming, but you teaming with Netflix for a rolled doll movie. It's just there's something perfect about that. You think mm-hmm. of like Fantastic Mr. Fox, the animation there, you think of the unique illustrations of a rolled doll. It just I don't know, it just clicks. And then Benedict Cumberbatch being a part of it too. Ralph like, Bean's coming back. Like Bennett Cumberbatch teaming with Wes Anderson is like a great pairing that we've never seen before that I think could be uh,
1: it could the be quirkiness special. of a Cumberbatch, perhaps. <laughs> I right. like can work with this Wes Anderson. That and, grin
0: side of him, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: And like we saw Ralph Fiennes um, in Budapest Hotel, my favorite Wes Anderson movie. And he, it was, I thought his character was so effective in that. And him working with a Benedict Cumberbatch could be something that like could be amazing. And you get Dev Patel, my James Bond in here. Like this is, it's gotta be an English movie. Like it's all English people. So this is big. That. And um, my last thing here is like, continues to recruit. We saw it at the French dispatch and his other movie uh, coming out. I I think uh, before this is asteroid city with Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, Margot Robbie, Tilda Swinton. Like he just continues to recruit to he's continuing on his path to get an Oscar or
0: try at least. I got a question. Wes Anderson, great recruiter, but I want to see what we, would you rather see half of this cast with substantial screen time or all of these names similar to the French Dispatch with minimal screen time, but you have this like eclectic cast. Which one would you rather have?
1: Well, French Dispatch is a weird movie, right? Because it's all like short, but kind of like Grand shorts.
0: Budapest Hotel is similar too.
1: No, Huge I rather Dispatch. oh, so you're talking about like Ed Norton, like in that, and like uh, a couple other characters, Adrian Brody,
0: Willem yeah. Dafoe, right? I rather That's have a honest. Grand
1: Budapest. I feel like the, those characters Wendy were Revalori. still. I feel like those characters were still effective.
0: Sorcerer Ronin. But like French Dispatch, I'm saying like, do you want minimal screen time? Would you rather see like half the size of the cast, right, with longer screen time? Or do you want this huge cast when they all get like their 10-minute like shine and you get the one real lead?
1: No, yeah. I'd rather have the one real lead.
0: No, I'm saying you get the one real lead, but then you have cameos pretty much for the rest of the yeah, movie.
1: Yeah, I'd rather have, yeah, I want that.
0: You don't want like half the size of the cast with more substantial screen time?
1: Well, I'm just thinking like Oscar wise, like what's the best chance for him to get an Oscar? I feel like you have to have a lead and you have a supporting and then you have all these great characters around it. Like that Budapest makes the film had.
0: distracting, though. That makes the film distracting. you think
1: Grand Budapest was distracting?
0: No, because I think it was an even smaller cast than what the French Dispatch ended up being. When the French Dispatch was like small stories yeah. that are split up. So it makes it a little bit different. You know, it seemed like, like Grand Budapest, like sometimes you were just having people in it just because like they're Wes Anderson collaborators and that you could have like anybody do some of those parts. Although it's just like the familiarity you have with those people. Yeah. That's what I think it was. So, but if you like, if like I grant Budapest a little different because it was a lot of focus on Ray Fines. Like it was, it was, it was his story. It's like, he was the main character. Right. But in terms of like splitting screen time, what he does sometimes it makes it hard for like, Oh, who is this scene? Who is the, uh, who's going to gather the attention for this movie other than Wes Anderson? Like Wes Anderson is pretty much carrying the name of this movie with a bunch of all-stars, you know?
1: Yeah, you're right. And oh, so you can talk about the lead in a Wes Anderson, Tony uh, Revelori or yeah. whatever. Flash Thompson. Flash Thompson. Like he's got to do something else. Like he's gone from starring in Wes Anderson to Flash Thompson and a poor Flash
0: Thompson in my He's estimation. busy at MIT. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Trailer roundup this week. Uh, We had the first teaser for the boys uh, season three series going to premiere on June 3rd, 2022. We had a teaser that just zoomed in on uh, a very pissed off Homelander played by Anthony Starr. And then uh, we also had a trailer for moonfall from Roland Emmerich Uh, Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson star in this new trailer. It's going to hit theaters February 4th. I feel like Roland Emmerich is just like the cousin or maybe even half brother of Michael Bay, right? Yeah, yeah. They do uh, like these disaster movies, or like they have like the big effects. Just, but we, I like Samuel Tarley getting some uh, some love here.
1: Samuel Tarley, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that, and also having this trailer come out so shortly after. Don't look up. Honestly, I think it hurts it. I think it hurts the movie, and uh, like people seeing it, or as at least having a positive perception of it. So I think I do think it hurts it. So. We'll see how it does. I don't think it looks very good. I think it will be awful, but uh, we'll see.
0: And then uh, as the boys approach, I think uh, we should do a recap of those episodes because I love season two yeah. so much. I thought I rewatched season one. I didn't love it as much as I I did the first time I saw it. But season two, I thought was spectacular. I loved it. <laughs> it was like so it almost got to the point of zany where it's just like it was like in the comparisons. talk about set, excuse me, satire satire in terms of making fun of like our modern day government or right in our society yeah, 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 yeah. and things like that but uh a good I use of satire i i want to see homelander i just got to see more Homelander. yeah and you as hear as these possible. you hear
1: these rumors that homelander is even crazier like than he has been in the past and it's I'm not like, even dude, close he's just
0: he's just naturally at on a scale of one to ten he's at a 12 at all times you know he just always balls to the wall at this point
1: yeah i i God, I love Homelander and we get three episodes not one not two but three on the drop date of June 3rd and then it's one episode uh, throughout the rest of like every week one episode a week but you get three right at the start not one not two three so I love that um and then there are events I love the events so they give us a tease they tease us but they tease us a little extra than normal which I like and then they get to the big events they so do a I'm lot of f-
0: side stuff yeah yeah they so I'm really of-
1: looking forward to that but I'm just going to also mention, I I keep sidetracking us here, Dr. Rowe, but Jack Quaid, we're in the Nightmare Alley screening and we see uh, yet another trailer for Scream. And we only get one glimpse of Jack Quaid in that. And you like whisper something to me, like Jack Quaid, or like you said something about it. Man, you thought the boys could be like a huge stepping stone for him. How successful the boys have been. A huge comic book um, series, probably the best comic book series. Um, on right now over anything Marvel's doing at disney plus like this is the best that or invincible i take both amazon product uh, products but he still can't like get any big time roles or at least be the star in like a, a mediocre movie at its
0: best yeah i know i i just feel like it was it should have been a stepping stone but i don't know he's it's, he's, he's like it's he is good. technically the main character in that show, but like in terms of acting performance and like what's most enjoyable to watch, like I'll take Billy butcher over him. I'll take, I'll take Homelander over him. Like I, like those two are just so um, electric. And then we also had uh what was the character's name? The crazy girl who came in. What's, what's that at? What's that superhero's name? Technically a villain.
1: The one oh, that dates oh. the Homelander. What's yeah, her name? I don't know her name. I, I'm terrible remembering that.
0: She was also electric, but she was uh, awesome. Who dates Homelander And I'm Googling who dates Homelander? I'm just thinking Nazi ties. That was crazy. Uh not Queen Maeve. Sorry, spoiler alert. There watch
1: the boys if you haven't. We'll do recaps. Boys deserves a recap. It does. It does. Nazi
0: nazi girl in season two <laughs> nazi girl
1: in season two but i do agree like the boys is like the best comic book series on or uh, that there's been that are invincible Stormfront,
0: Stormfront. Storm yeah. but yes i do think it is right now i wouldn't say like just if it stood on season one i would still say loki was better i i really hmm. enjoyed loki but interesting uh season two i thought was just it, it went pedal to the metal and it went it was like it had, it had homelander i think at his best and uh it makes you like uh just really anxious for season three and what he's gonna have up his sleeve and i like, he's easily just the best part of the show he's at easily. this point where like i can't even see him like being a marvel hero or dc hero he's just too recognizable as homelander and he's too perfect as a villain i,
1: I don't think i think uh he can't do enough like this is his superhero this is similar to, like yeah. john cena's peacemaker like you know this is his and then after this he's got to go in the acting game not in the comic book realm
0: Alright, right. Uh, That does it for the trailer roundup. Long, 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 long. Uh, And wraps up the checkup. Uh, Let's now move on to our review of Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. And she's hooked to the silver screen. But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it 10 times or more. She could spit in the eyes of fools i Hey, Ricky Flicks, Paul Thomas Anderson's unexpected drop, licorice pizza, one we didn't know we were getting in 2021. We're going to give you the synopsis. We're going to give you the Rotten Tomato score, the audience score, and then finally the IMDB. So let's get to it. So licorice pizza is the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around and falling in love in the San Fernando Valley in 1973 it's written and directed by paul thomas anderson the film tracks the treacherous navigation of first love rotten tomatoes has licorice pizza at 92 percent the audience gives it a score of 71 we're going to get to that low score in a sec imdb 8.1 out of 10 so ricky flicks where i want to start paul thomas anderson one of the greatest filmmakers in the history of cinema Okay. I know for Christmas, I gave you a Paul Thomas Anderson masterworks book. All right. I don't know. Have you been able to uh, look into that at all yet? I've read
1: a little, I, I've dabbled. Adam dabbled. uh vernacular is a little, I, I have to keep a th- uh, dictionary nearby.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> so I want to ask you, Ricky Flex, before we go into this new PTA movie, what makes a PTA movie, a PTA movie? What makes it, you know, we have those Tarantino-isms. Where are the yep. PTA-isms?
1: PTA, I, I would say he's more subtle than like a Tarantino, Scorsese. Like the, his isms uh-huh. are like a lot more subtle, I would say. Um, I think, first off, he's done four full feature films. He's done a lot of, like he's, he worked with Radiohead, music videos, Haim, mm-hmm. the sisters, the Alana Haim. Haim sister, Haim sisters. That's how like, uh, obviously she got this part is through that, so um done work through them but i would say like consistently great filmmaker um it's been four years since fan of threads so He picks and chooses his projects um he's definitely not like he's that de- he's a very technical director but mm. he's not like a scorsese where he's an anti-comic book right he has famously said in interviews that he, his house like loves mcu movies he, it's mcu household he loves venom too he loved venom too so like it's that de- he's definitely like a very technical director but not like a pure artsy fartsy uh uh, cinema because you also have his flashes of brilliance and uh, excitement in his movies as well so definitely love that you and then if you get to like the technical aspects of it like the mobile camera work the lighting and uh, sharp editing I would say um, definitely takes pride in his cinematography he, he's a cinematographer himself in a lot of his films and I would say uh, in addition to that a great soundtrack and score he really infiltrates pop culture, of whatever setting he's been in, whether it's in this movie in 1973, San Fernando Valley or Boogie Nights, um, whether it's I'm trying to think uh, Amy, man, Magnolia. Yeah. Magno- <laughs> man, Magnolia, another one, uh, 1950s fan on thread. Not, not much with the music there, but uh, more just the, that's like more about the writing, but, and I would also say, Still has a what, score to
0: match. He always has a score. Always to match.
1: a score to match. There will be blood. Jimmy Greenwood is a frequent collaborator. I know he's helped. He helped with this one. Helped in. Uh, fan, um, sorry, uh, there will be blood. But um, I guess the last thing I would say and to go on this rant, uh, kind of, I know what you'll probably say is like what separates this film from other PTA films. And I <laughs> you think know what's is, so. I know what you're going to say, and I'll say it now because the other ism that PTA has.
0: I want to. I want to go into my isms. I got to go into my isms. Okay, fine, but yes, I just I just want to know I what one the last. Isms were. Right, go ahead, I have one ahead, last
1: ism, but I'll wait until I'll answer the separation question next. You go.
0: So when we left the theater, I loved. You brought up something that I loved that you said. Like he's very technical, but he loves to have fun at the same time with his movies. Um, in terms of like the technical stuff, the sound of his movie is always on point not just the soundtrack just the sound editing is perfect the every shot is handled with care but i do want to say a common theme i rewatched there will be blood and the master this week okay two of like what a lot of people call the greatest works from paul thomas anderson we'll get to that with the rankings but usually in his films there's a lot of intensity to them with intense performances with these prestigious actors we talk about of uh a Philip Seymour Hoffman, a Daniel Day Lewis, right? Them commanding a screen, and they're just perfect pairings with the intense style of a lot of PTA's movies. I think also he has the ability to capture attention of audiences on in settings that there aren't a lot of movies made during those time periods, where we're talking about late nineteenth century, early twentieth in the in New Mexico with the uh the beginning of like the oil barons right that are coming Mm -hmm. about founding oil phantom thread talking about a fashion designer in england the 1950s he's the porn industry in the late 1970s a bunch exploring all of these different settings that aren't necessarily um that haven't been right that just just haven't been Haven't been explored they're untapped and i think he just has an amazing way to create an enticing film for audiences where you didn't see coming right um but I want to go into the differences here. Like, what does licorice pizza, how does it separate itself from other PTA films, Ricky?
1: So, I think what separates this film than others is that his last ism that I was going to say is that people a lot of times call him like an actor's director. Like, you have like Leo, De Niro, they're always with Scorsese, right? Like, they, like, they, a lot of times, Scorsese movies have one of those two in it, right? Um, for PTA movies, like Daniel Day Lewis, like, he's been in um, of two. And he came out of retirement to do one. And yeah, Phil Baker Hall. He's been in a couple of Magnolia. Uh, so Heart good 8. at Magnolia. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, frequent collaborator. Uh, who else? John C. Riley, frequent collaborator. You have these, he's an actor's director, you say. This film, the leads are unknown names. Or names that you haven't really seen. Full feature debuts. So I think that is where you still have like the incredible camera work you still have the soundtrack you still have the score the lighting the editing like i mentioned whatever but that is where it's different you still have like the great supporting roles here from big time actors but they aren't the leads that is new that is not PTA's like his previous eight films that is not what he did this one he showed like all right I know, like obviously she's a musician, she has, she has, and she has the charisma and confidence, whatever you want to say an actress should have. And Cooper Hoffman, son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, a legend, frequent collaborator with PTA. So he had the acting chops. He knew he was going to have it. But this is what was different about it. And I thought it was very successful based on what the story was. Definitely worked well with the debuts of these two great young actors.
0: Yeah, I, I can't agree more. And it's so interesting. We're getting a Cooper Hoffman performance, right? The son of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. In the same year, we got a performance from uh, Tony Soprano, uh, uh, James Candle, son in The Many Saints of Newark. It's just so yes. cool. And there are moments where I was watching this movie. Like I saw Cooper Hoffman running. There's a lot of running in this movie, but there is one. There's always movie. running in PT. Talk about the lighting in one of these scenes of running scenes, a lamp or like a, like a headlight, a lamp, like streetlight over Cooper Hoffman's head. I thought, I swear to God, I saw Philip Seymour Hoffman. Really? I swear to God. I saw. I was just like, that's him. Like, I just like, there was, there was other times where I'm like, okay, Gary is really his own type of man. And we know Philip Seymour Hoffman had the ability to turn on the charm. Right. Um, we We're talking about the master where like, he is just a mat, Like, the master at turning on the charm in that movie and being very persuasive and convincing. Cooper, uh, Cooper Hoffman here, I was so happy to see. And uh, uh, I also wanted to talk about this film, right? Talk about the different settings, the untapped, right, potential of the ideas in uh, PTA movies. This one seemed a lot more personal, right? Santa Fernando Valley, Definitely. California, idiosyncratic from, in that regard. Ribs. Exactly. So this one's way more personal than I think any of his movies before. And I, a lot of people are ripping on the fact that this uh, this movie has too much of a sense of nostalgia to it. What do you think? What, what's your argument for saying this is actually? Uh, first of all, do you think it was that nostalgic, and do you think that actually did it hurt or did it help the movie?
1: I think for the most part it helped, but I I do agree that sometimes it was kind of in your face a lot. But I think what kind of helped combat that was Cooper, uh, cooper hoffman's uh, gary valentine's like hustler mentality and i think that really combated that a lot and like because i thought i was going to see a movie of him coming up like acting right i thought yeah. i was going to see more of the childhood acting side of it but you saw a glimpse of it but that's really it it was more about the hustle side and the confidence and the charisma of him like the character the hint uh, of the character and him being entrepreneurial and then it's kind of alana himes character alana more of trying to figure out like what's her path in the world. Like she's 25, she's working as not even the photographer, but as like just the minimum wage worker, the assistant, past assistant, like getting a, a tickets for 15 year old kids to get their picture taken, for God's sakes. And then she's bounced around job to job. Do I want to be an actress? Do I want to be a singer? Do I want to uh, work for Gary? Do I want to go into politics? Like she's trying to figure out life on her own. So this is a true coming of age story that I feel combats that nostalgia very well. that, sometimes is, is in your face, but then you come back to reality with this coming of age story between this relationship between these two people. So I, I love this film. I really do. And the nostalgia. I love Hollywood. I'm a sucker. I talk about it every episode. I love movies about Hollywood. I love movies in Hollywood, whatever. I thought PTA did a very good job.
0: Dude. It's a personal film, right? It's, it's what he grew up with. Of course, there's going to be nostalgia on in it. If you like have a critique of that after watching the movie, The name of the damn movie is Licorice Pizza. (laughs) A a record, a chain of record stores that don't even get mentioned once in the movie. Like this whole movie is nostalgia, but it works. This was his personal project. This had to be like, don't do we I mean, I want to see this is a different side of PTA, right? A more personal one where he is not afraid to embrace like his experiences and where he grew up. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? Like, I mean, was this a critique and once upon a time in Hollywood? That was much more in your face than this movie.
1: Yeah, the montages were dedicated to the nostalgia. That was so much that more was, in
0: your face. And yeah. like the subtlety some here, like sometimes you get the Batmobile, like you had a, you saw it for a glimpse second as it's going by, right? Obviously, you have the John Peters and the Barbara Streisand like sound, like uh, name drops. But I felt like if you have if you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood then you critique this for being too over nostalgic, like you're a hypocrite. I agree. That's, like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And um, I'm talking about, I, I brought up, like, the PTA-ism. I almost said, P, like, yeah, whatever. Pete Davids. Yeah, I almost said something else. But the isms here, what he is so good at, meaning PTA, is he basically engraves the audience into the setting. Right, so he almost had to go over nostalgic here to put you in that mind frame of the nineteen seventies. Okay, what it was truly like. Right, so if you have, you like, obviously it's an exciting time. It's California. It's Hollywood. It's like San Fernando Valley. Like, how are you not like interested in see? You can't ignore those nostalgic aspects. That just comes with the movie. Yeah, and to, like PTA, yeah. like talk about like setting up his other movies. There will be blood. Right. Uh, talk about a uninteresting type of setting but he's going to do all he can to make sure you're locked in for the rest of the movie you know what i mean that's just what he does so in that respect i think he lived up to that ism right there so what do you think about the setting san fernando valley here
1: no i like i said i love hollywood i love this and i think it wasn't as in your face like once upon a time hollywood and i think the pop culture with the music really helped in that and yeah if we just want to quickly like dive into that like related to this like you had Wings, Paul McCartney playing. You have The Doors. Um, who else? You yeah. had, oh, David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie, the song in the trailer. David Bowie, whatever. Life is Mars, I believe. Like, those songs, they hit so much better in this movie. Like, in the movie. Like, if I listened to before seeing this movie, I was like, oh, they're, they're decent songs. But because of the setting and the song, the songs just cemented the setting and made it make sense with what was going on. And you see that in Scorsese-Tarantino films too, but I feel like this was more subtle, like I mentioned in the beginning. It was definitely more subtle. There weren't montages like Tarantino does. Like, remember the Tarantino montage in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood of the Strip? Oh, yeah. Like, the the flashing lights. And the driving driving scenes. were nostalgia. Right. This one, he doesn't, like, um, PTA doesn't do that. He doesn't, like, have those pure nostalgia scenes. If you might have nostalgia scenes... Um, like with the name drops and things like that. But those still have a like an emphasis with the plot of the movie or to keep the plot moving, keep the story moving. So I thought the soundtrack was amazing to go to coincide with the setting. And I think that you had to do it to kind of counterbalance the two.
0: And this is what PTA is so good at. Picking songs that aren't necessarily the most popular. You mentioned it. These aren't songs like when you think of David Bowie's greatest hits, The Door's greatest hits, right? When you think of the Wings and Paul McCartney's greatest hits, the songs that they have in this movie aren't the first ones you think of, but this what goes into his music background. It's noticing what works with the movie. And now when you hear those songs afterwards, you're going to have licorice pizza in your mind. And you're going to think about that time at the theater. You saw it and how enjoyable it was. You're going to think of that scene. You're going to think of let me roll it with the, Oh, pin drop and then, yes, the, yes. Uh, with the water bed and the beautiful shot with the hands touching the hands of these two people who know they shouldn't be together, but they want to be together. It's like beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. And uh, even when, like with just like the summer days, like where they're packing the van to go on to John Peter's house, you got the Bowie song ripping. I'm just like, damn, like they're really killing it right now, and the, they're the, really the, killing it.
1: And I will say, in the movie theater, um, not to going another tangent here but uh in the trailers when light year came on that's a star man. I, was, oh, yeah. I told you i like whisper. i whispered next to you i remember this is my favorite version of star man <laughs> the, the one that's in the light year trailer like i love that it's great
0: great trailer music there great it is trailer, so great good song choice so I,
1: but that's what i was thinking when you were just going on here, when you were talking there i'm sorry
0: um what else did I want to talk about that? That, that was so true. Because you were just like, Oh, this is actually the best version. <laughs> it's so hard It's space, Ugh. right? And then they this whole they just hold right that last note, and there's just yeah. it, it, it hits, it hits And the little yeah. echo. Right. Um, one thing we got to talk about. We talked about the 71% audience score as opposed to the like a uh, 90 plus critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of this I think has to do with the undertones of pedophilia where it's, you have a 25 year old, right. And a 15 year old um, having a relationship in some capacity here, although it's platonic at times. Um, eventually they, I mean, I don't, I mean, there's, there's just, just, there is like some vibes So they obviously have want, they have a um, feeling, loving feelings for one another, right. Yeah. There's like sexual tension between these two, the entire movie. So, I mean, a lot of people are saying those undertones, drove them away from the movie. Other people are saying it was blended in a way that it actually worked, okay? And it wasn't perverted and they never got that feeling. What do you think about this 25-year-old and 15-year-old with Alana Ham and Cooper Hoffman engaging in the way they did in this movie?
1: I definitely think that that drove down the audience score. That's the reason why it's not 100%. in the 90s. Um, but I, I will say that it did what it did have effect on me. I think that it what I think they made it seem like because they were both so charming, right? Just in the first scene, uh, in the movie when Cooper Hoffman's trying to Wheeler, it's like it works, but it does like you, you do have that in the back of your mind while you're watching, which I do uh, put in effect of my rank and like my ratings and things like that because that's how you watch the movie. And I definitely think the more you rewatch this, the more accepting you'll be of it. Uh-huh. So I think it'll be better on more rewatches. But what might be even crazier is the Sean Penn to Alana.
0: I want to talk about this. That might be creepier because this is what PTA does, right? If you look at this on paper, you look at a synopsis and you say, oh, wait, a 25 year old, 15 year old, you're going in already like judging this movie and saying, PTA, you're a weirdo. And you're, you're not, you're going in with a closed mindset. Okay. And I feel like if you're not open to accepting it, right, you're already going to have a brutal score for this movie, or you're going to think this was a piece of trash and you think it's a messed up movie, but I think he does a great job PTA where he has an older Sean Penn to kind of counterbalance the younger relationship with Cooper Hoffman. Right. And then also she has the relationship with the David Cassidy type of character, the 18 year old to 20 year old child star. Okay. Movie star. We don't know how old he actually is. Book
1: smart. Book smart.
0: We don't know how, yeah, we don't know how old this kid actually is. Right guy. Uh, but I think it kind of puts her in different relationships and you makes the audience feel who is she best with most comfortable with it's Cooper, right? It's Cooper Hoffman's character, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Gary. So it's, and then it's also the, the fact that there's one really impactful scene that stuck with me. That I think it was PTA trying to talk to the audience. Um, Alana Himes character is smoking weed, right? With, uh, I believe it's her sister. And they ask a question. Uh, Alana says, is it weird that I hang out with uh, Gary and his 15-year-old friends? And the sister doesn't say yes, right? Alana Hine personally does say yes. What the sister says is, quote, does it feel weird to you? End quote. So he's trying to like normalize it. It's kind of weird that he's trying to normalize it, but it makes you more accepting of it based on these relationships she's having. The sister's not saying it's weird, okay? And by the end of it, like it's been so platonic the entire time you feel like these people need to be together after their experiences throughout this entire movie. Yeah, what do you think about that? Take? Does that make sense?
1: I think that's what he's going for. I think that's absolutely correct. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. I think that's clear. Um, I think I, I would just say another thing in addition to that would be um, even when like you could tell by her, like what, what does she want? Right. Like with the character uh, Lance um, who's played by Skylar Gisondo, who. Like I, I reference Book Smart. He's like the, the rich kid in Book Smart. He's uh Ed Helms' kid in vacation. Like he's um, perfect casting. Yeah. But um and casting. I thought he was very good in this. Like the atheist scene, like that. That's what Like that was <laughs> that like was the, funny. That was like the I think that was the hardest I laughed in the, in the theater. But uh this could be something uh, start for him. He doesn't have anything lined up, so this could be big print But I'm uh, going back to what we were saying, is you could see like Alana's like, she's trying to see, like, oh, so I wanna like I was just with Cooper. And he's obviously sorry, not Cooper, uh, Gary. He's on to bigger, uh, big things, but that's just not going to work out. I'll try Lance because he's like the quote unquote hotter David Cassidy type version of Gary. And that clearly wasn't going to work out based on her family that we get like sense of. And then she obviously we're trying, oh, do we get someone already successful and older, things like that? Or do we go to the the mayor's side, the political side with that? So it's just interesting. I think you're absolutely right. But you could see how she reacts like with each person. She really tries at Lance. Clearly doesn't going to work out. Then when he goes to Sean Penn, she's like kind of a child. Like she does the tongue out at the restaurant, the bar. Right. So it's showing like she is a child compared to Sean
0: Penn. She's naive.
1: she's right. more not and she, yeah similar
0: and, like cooper offense super naive in this movie too, right she so it shows that they years. both
1: are and i think it works and right. i i i just really think that uh in the end i think i completely agree with you i think pta did a good job and also san Ver- for san Fernando valley 1973 like i'm not saying this happened it wasn't there or anything um i'm just saying that it more likely than not like it was probably more I'm not saying it did happen. I'm saying like probably like 18 year olds were getting married. Like it's crazy stuff. Happen- yeah. Happened. We're
0: going to talk about the setting here. How There's like literally no adult supervision throughout this entire movie. Right. <laughs> no parents. The only parent in this movie is the mother of Gary who works for him.
1: And then right? the Himes,
0: Alana's uh, uh, rights. And that the, they were mainly for comedic relief. If we're being honest. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, and the, the dad does ask and it, there is a bit of strictness to him where he said he asked her where she's been and things like that when she comes home right at the beginning of the movie. But he soon she kind of disappears from the fold for the remainder. Um, I also want to talk about like that feeling that PTA wants to give off where it's like it's okay that these two are together, right? It just lines up with the movie. Is the scene at the end... I assume we're kind of doing spoilers here. I assume we're kind of doing Officially spoilers
1: here. spoilers now.
0: The scene... Spoilers. The scene where you have the end Benny Safdie, the politician's character, right? He calls Alana Haim to come to the restaurant. He is with this male he's having a relationship with, right? Um, basically, Benny Safdie's character brings in Alana Haim so she can take, right, his partner home, right? Um, they're, ha- they're having this hidden relationship with one another. And Benny Safdie doesn't want it to be known. He thinks it's inappropriate, right? Literally thinks it's inappropriate. Hurt his
1: chances of winning mayor
0: hurt his chances of winning mayor, but also I'm, and when he brings, when Alana Heim, her character brings his partner home, right? The guy is sad. Obviously he can't be in this relationship because society like looks down upon it. And I think that is an important scene because it brings uh, Alana to the point where she's like, wow, like I shouldn't care as much about what people think about it. Just like this mayor cares about it. I'm just going to follow where my heart is. And that's with Gary, which is kind of a, you could say it's wrong, like it is wrong. It, it, it's a tw- it's a twenty five year old with a fifteen year old. It's not okay. But the, f- the way the film rolls, it lines up with the way that they need to be together based on what PTA has put together, right? Yeah, but yeah. I think that that's why I thought that scene was powerful. You
1: know? Yeah, I thought it was powerful for that. Like there's a clear reason, but also like saying like, all right, like they're not supposed to be together, but they're together. I can be okay, right? So exactly I think better way a, of a, for, it by you. for a simple like way to say it, um, but. No, I think I think that was effective. I would say not as effective as I would have liked it to be. Um, just because like you had the newspaper, like I, I thought like it could have could have been a little better that that uh towards the end of the story there. But um, all in all, like I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, you just made it not feel weird. Like you made and, it not feel weird, yeah. And like obviously it's wrong, right? Like, but people do things in movies that are wrong all the time. It's just a movie, right? We're talking right, like what are we doing? Mm-hmm. So Agreed. I, I do think like mentally, like I said at the beginning, like, it did have a mental, like while watching, it's like you, it's in the back of your mind, right? So it does affect your viewing experience, but it's still a movie. It, like that's, dissolved
0: that's, in the back of my mind as the movie went on.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like as it became Alana's movie, like it shifted, right? You get that shift also in perspective. It's like, all right, you're more accepting of it as you're going and watching the movie. So I agree with you there too.
0: Right. And they have constant jealousy when someone's with another partner yeah, the yeah, entire yeah. movie. I can get us just... martinis.
1: I can get us martinis. <laughs>
0: I love those. That scene, that scene was interesting with the Sean Penn, and like that scene, like that was the moment they realized they needed each other at that Definitely. time, I guess. Yeah. Like and they, then the yeah. run, another
1: oh, no, the running, the yeah. running, great scene. I'm coming, uh,
0: Nancy. I think uh, what I also want to talk about, we talked about the technical side of PTA earlier and those isms. I think we got to talk about the cinematography here because I thought it was unbelievable. Mm. I, 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 I think I mentioned to you like th- two or three times as we left the theater, I felt like I watched this movie uh it was in the san fernando valley at a drive-in in in middle summer the other that's the kind of vibe it gave off the entire time and um the slight graininess of it i think was perfect even with the opening credits digital very plain yes yes
1: the digital he did a digital like in the master like that's 65 millimeter like camera like that's amazing cinematography like it's just so clear and sharp the cinematography here you got a digital camera similar to boogie night's really captures the early 1970s and I thought it worked perfectly like you said like the lazy critic uh I'll say here it felt like you were there you know yeah. <laughs> like you felt uh-huh. like you were in Sanford Ver- you, you like believe you, you believed that that was San Fernando Valley right but you did and honestly let's just be lazy and say you did and I think uh-huh. the better the better uh thing to say would be what you said where it felt like you were out of driving like you felt like you're in the drive not to like toot our own horn in driving podcast but it felt like you were there and in a drive and watching it. So I thought that was great. PTA doing his PTA things with the cinematography. Unbelievable.
0: Uh, before we get to our scores, we got to talk about the one and only Bradley Cooper. Um, we got to talk about his performance here. Uh, a small but impactful one. What did you make of Cooper in this film?
1: I loved him. I, I, I loved him. I think the trailer teased us too much. Because now we're in spoilers, right? So we could say they didn't have
0: the car smash and see until the post credits. That was disappointing. I wanted to go crazy at the gas station. Like,
1: because people were saying Oscar, 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 that could have been the Oscar. Like, obviously, with the light, people are going to say, like, that's the Oscar moment for supporting. But I don't know. I don't think that was good enough. I don't know if that was big enough to say, yep, this is my Oscar. And obviously, with the limits limited screen time, it's already hard, but there have been situations where people with less screen time than Bradley Cooper had and Licorice Pizza have won. Like there's plenty of them. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. I just don't think he that lighting scene was like big enough. I don't think yeah. that was like Oscar moment, boom. So yes, like he was great, but will he get the Oscar? I don't know the we, I don't think I think supporting actor the nominations aren't as deep as the other uh, categories for the Oscars. Um, I think everything else is deep. Supporting actor is not as deep, so I do think he has a shot. But do I really want to see him get his first Oscar as a supporting actor? No, we're not talking about Ben Affleck here. We're talking about Bradley Cooper.
0: Right. I think his sequence in the movie where it starts with they arrive. Right. He talks down Cooper Hoffman saying not to mess up his house. Do you know who my wife is? Pronounce my wife's name right. Is and that
1: then he, I guess that
0: is the Oscar. That, scene. that, that is though. the Oscar scene. Yeah. That is the Oscar scene saying, like, you know who I am. All right. Like, I own all this. I own all every girl in town and everything like that. Don't even like don't even try it. Stri like sand. Stri yeah, sand. Perfect. Stry sand. But like even the sequence when he leaves, they mess up the waterbed on purpose because he threatened his brother. They get in the truck. Like that whole sequence, they run out of gas, he jumps in, right? And then like they're going to the gas station. I think that was phenomenal. My favorite 20 minutes of the movie, that was, that was, that that stretch, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough. And I really wanted to see um, the aftermath. There's got to be footage of this. Where John Peters, Bradley Cooper's character, finds out the waterbed spills all over his house.
1: There's got to be like a deleted scene. We didn't scene.
0: find that we didn't have that scene. If that was somehow tied into the end, I was right. That I was really been hoping.
1: I, I was really hoping that, like obviously, once they ditch him, that he was going to be a part of the ending and the climax of how like Alana and Cooper come, come together. Somehow. Yeah. I thought he was going to be that point. And that's why like he would have more screen time the turning point like for them to come back together maybe with the waterbed going on there we don't get to see that I would have loved to see it but I think everything here made sense um and that's when Benny Safdie in the political uh viewpoint comes in so I think that is another thing that I would have liked to seen um uh, but now that you're saying it I might have rather like if I had to pick the Oscar right now I would have not I I've would seen, nominate
0: him he was my favorite uh, no like, I um, would
1: easily nominate yeah, I'm saying no. winning
0: yeah winning. oh wow wow i, I think, uh, i'm telling I, you it's not
1: as deep as the other categories
0: yes okay like i like i mean who's it's gonna be hard for someone to say no to bradley cooper playing john peters in a pta movie and being like yeah that's not and, worthy of an nomination. and it
1: seems like alana Heim's not going to get the recognition like it seems like she'll you don't get, think she so might, she might get nominated here but i don't the I, controversy i think i think spencer's got it locked up Kristen Stewart. I think she's got it locked. up. Yeah, do
0: we think she's nominated? She's gonna get nominated, though, right? A lot yeah, of but not
1: win. Like you gotta pick. The Pizza's piece is too good. I do. Should we just give scores? Just or what?
0: Let's throw them out. Let's get going.
1: Ninety-three, my best movie of the year.
0: Wow, I give it a ninety-five.
1: Okay, my best movie my of the year.
0: It, it's my best.
1: Ninety-three, best movie of the year for me. But I don't think it's gonna get a lot of recognition here, based on like what's going, what's going on right now with the Oscars. So right. I think if it's gonna win somewhere, it looks like costume design might maybe same person as phantom thread here might get it for that but honestly i honestly i love dune i love doing love west side stories costume design i'd rather have those um so it looks like supporting actor like uh, lead actor definitely not as in like way too deep way too deep um alana heim nomination most likely yeah cooper Hoffman. sorry but um it looks like this is the best spot and like what are the what are the chances like you got uh, West Side Story, like David Alvarez. Uh, but eh, you got Belfast. You got the kid in Belfast. Like,
0: I don't know. You're talking,
1: you talking about for lead? Uh, supporting, supporting. Oh, I, so you, I I mean, really you, don't got, you know.
0: got Riff and West Side Story potentially? Yeah. Um, um, ben Affleck. I don't even know. No, we can't have Affleck. Yeah, I know. Uh, what's, the, what's the short list here?
1: Like, I'm telling you, It's light.
0: Actor nominees.
1: Like you got like I'm trying to think of movies, like the humans. Um Richard Jenkins um, is getting praised for that. Cody uh, Smith,
0: McPhee, Power of the Dog, Sierra Hines, Belfast. But you, do you Coxer, see my point Coda. here?
1: Very, very weak.
0: Yeah. So I, I, be I, like, yeah, I it's like a default it. win.
1: It's like a default a, win.
0: And that's the name that you could throw out there to get to gain some attention. People right? to watch
1: the Oscars and then not only watch but
0: win it. Like that would be huge, right? You need the recognition. Like having Bradley Cooper nominated these for a PTA movie. That's gonna drive viewership up for the Oscars too. That'd be perfect. Yeah. Um, okay, ninety three from Ricky Flex, ninety five from Doctor O. Any other? Any final thoughts before we uh, head out of this review, Ricky Flex? Your best movie of the year?
1: Best movie of the year. Uh, honestly, I love Sean Penn in this too, and Tom Waits. Their inner, uh, their yep, their uh, combo there. I love that relationship. Uh, closing song incredible
0: shows that post Vietnam like uh situation, too. Talk about like the setting mm-hmm. up the setting there, right? How he was just addicted mm-hmm. to talking about war, mm-hmm. and maybe it was a role he had too that he was yeah. just addicted to, you know?
1: Yeah, I uh I, w- I wish the trailer didn't sh- uh, like it teased us a little bit, uh, but I'm fine with it at the end. I just wish more people saw this movie. Honestly, we need people to see this movie. I think that this movie has so many memorable moments but also just great pieces of, of just pure cinema that people should see. And I think would recognize, and there's no big actor in the lead, right? Like Bradley Cooper's on the lead in this, like you have two relatively unknown, right. Uh, actors just relying on PTA and, power. Right. But PTA, like he doesn't sell box office on his own. I would say like a Tarantino does like a Scorsese does like uh MCU project does, right. He's not as outgoing or uh, bombastic charismatic as like these other filmmakers or uh franchises like comic book franchises sell right he doesn't grab the headlines like a tarantino does like a tarant uh, scorsese does when he makes comments on like the, like marvel right he doesn't keeps sell the himself. movie keeps himself. right keeps to himself and um like the, the biggest headline probably for him is that he's married or whatever long long time partner of maya Rudolph. like that's that's his biggest headline
0: and she had a cameo in this movie
1: yeah and she had a cameo in this movie right so
0: i didn't I even know a, that i didn't even know that until you just said that Right. Really, would Like, I was wondering why she had such a small role in this movie. I was like, does she just want to bolster the career? I'm like, no, she's a partner of.
1: Oh yeah, Long, like they're yeah. not like married, but they call each other like husband and wife. Ah, I think it's probably it's like so for tax, Hollywood, probably like ta- tax reasons or something. But yeah, yeah like that's like, like Kurt Russell says,
0: and Goldie Hahn.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that's probably a reason why like he's been nominated for like eight or nine Oscars, but he's just not winning because he's not as outgoing as all these other people. Doesn't put himself forward, and like this is PTA. Like, Pete, Paul Thomas Anderson, like, he is This could be there. the
0: one, man. This could be the one for Best Picture, though, right? Going against Power of the Dog.
1: I would – I, I like I said, I haven't seen Belfast. I haven't seen Coda driving my car. Or Belfast Rocket, seems like it's
0: like Green Book, if Green Book won. You know, it's like that feel-good story. Kenneth you know? Branagh.
1: Um, yeah. Judy, then.
0: Yeah.
1: I agree. I, this is my best movie here. I didn't think it deserves. I just wish people saw it, and I think it's just – Kind of going with like PTA. Like if you don't have the lead, it's tough. There's right? a chance. There's a chance actor. it wins.
0: I think what's holding it holding it back is the controversy over mm, the age. I yeah. think that's what's holding it back. And I think the power of the dog has that story that Hollywood, modern Hollywood loves. Okay. back Mountain um,
1: didn't get the nod, so maybe this gets the nod. Yeah, like,
0: dude. I, I think Power of the cowboy. Dog. Is, I, I think if I had to betting odds, I would say Power of the Dog would win. But I think Licorice Pizza is the best pizza uh, movie I saw this year. Completely agree. Okay. That's going to do it for our review of Licorice Pizza. Uh, While we're here, Ricky Flex, let's move on to our Paul Thomas Anderson movie rankings. So Licorice Pizza has come out. Okay. We have been watching several PTA movies to get us prepared. Ricky Flex, are you ready to rank? Are you mentally ready to rank these movies?
1: Well, I know you just said we've been watching these movies. So I've seen these movies almost all like all nine now, so many times. And I've done rewatches, but I think doing a rewatch for some of these isn't really necessary for a lot of these, as in like, I just know these movies like that, right? I just know them off the top of my head. But saying that, I think there's like some, like, at least for me, like there's some issues where I'm like, oh, I'm contemplating, like, all right, should this be one or this should be two? And then should this be number four or five? And then should this be eight or nine? Like I'm going through that. It's like not necessarily like where I should rank them. I think they each have their tiers and they're properly tiered. And I've seen so many times, I just know. But it's like, I love these so much or I dislike them compared to others so much. Like where should I put them? So I think our rankings is is so interesting. I'm interested to see your side of it.
0: One I think is indisputable where it's like, I don't think another movie will touch number one, but I think everything else is up for grabs to be honest.
1: Okay. I think well, everything
0: else is up for grabs. What is but, your
1: like, what, all right. So what, how do you want to do this? Like we each I, like I, 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 the top nine or we each no, have our own.
0: I want to lead off and say, I have not seen inherent vice. Okay. So I, I have to admit that before I, I um we go through these rankings, right? No inherent vice. Uh, I am what were you gonna say, Ricky? Books, you give me a look.
1: I do. You want me to talk about it now, or do you?
0: I have. Seen so it. I don't have it ranked. I have my seven through one. There's seven. nine, isn't there?
1: Nine. There's what am nine. I missing? Heart, Uh. Well. heart
0: eight. Haven't seen heart Eight either.
1: Oof. Okay. Well, I can kind of crank those out now if you want, because I've. Uh, yeah. Just I'm give being... me.
0: Get, yeah. Just tell me where you have Inherent Vice and heart Eight.
1: Okay, so Inherent Vice I have at nine, my least favorite PTA film. My only one that. I would say is below 75, 70, er, below 70, below 70. I would say, um, a great cast, like Joaquin leading the charge here, brolin, uh, like uh, uh, Martin short. Like it's, it, you have a great cast in front of you, but I think it's all over the place. It's an interesting story. Like post Vietnam, Joaquin looking weird in his beard and a top hat and weird seventies glasses. He's a drug addict, um, detective like PI. So it's, and he's, he's, a the story goes, if you haven't seen it, he's like looking for like an ex-girlfriend or something. She's disappeared and drugs are involved. And this was made in uh, uh, 2014, I believe. 2014, is it either that, or 15. So like, The master was in 2012.
0: I think it's for 2014.
1: 2014, thank you. So it's just weird that you have There Will Be Blood in 07, then you have The Master in 2012, then you have this movie after that. And you have Joaquin in the, in the lead again, and I just really think this movie just got off the rails and it was out of control. I think that it's in control as in like what he's doing, but out of control for the audience and just not as, not as uh, like, I I was thinking this the other day. I I I saw this when I was like looking up, like what went wrong with inherent vice. I saw someone throw this out there or not throw this out there. This was like the report that Robert Downey Jr. Was supposed to play Joaquin Joaquin's role in it. And that sounds like
0: something he would excel in.
1: And if you think, Zodiac, this is like basically Robert Downey Jr. Zodiac, this character, right? Is literally That's the same exact thinking. type of person, except a little crazier, a little more druggy. Um, so I think he would have been perfect and would have been even better than a Joaquin. I think Joaquin's better for like a Joker or a the Master, like just crazier from a mental side. I think RDJ would have been better in a more controlled environment. Like this should have been, but this one got off the rails and it's funny, but it doesn't hit hard. And you have like this detective story, but it's there's so many okay. storylines that just didn't work out. So that's my number nine. Inherent
0: okay, vice. cool. Inherent Vice number nine. I, I got to make sure I see it. I'm a huge Joaquin guy, but uh, no, I just haven't. I, I tried to watch it on streaming last night and see where it would fit into my rankings, but it just wasn't available. It was on Prime forever, and I just waited until it wasn't. So Inherent Vice is automatically our number nine on the PTA rankings. All right. Uh, I mentioned I hadn't seen Hard Eight that also will be automatically updated on our list. That's going to be our number eight. Ricky Flex, tell us about Hard Eight and why it's uh, low on the list here.
1: Hard Eight, like between us, this was like really seven for me, but eight like will default uh, for the sake of the uh, the rankings here. Love John C. Riley in this, but this is really Philip Baker Hall's movie. Wow, and Philip nice. Baker Hall is unbelievable in this. Um, yeah. He was in a, like a short that, um, like cigarettes and something, coffee and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson uh, uh, was with Philip Baker Hall here and saw him there. Then after that, they did this movie and this movie was is like it's very slow, slow paced, definitely in the first hour. So slow. Um, but then it starts to pick up once Gwyneth Paltrow's character comes in and Philip Seymour Hoffman has a great cameo. All time cameo. Like, I love it. If we did a cameo draft honorable mention for, for me personally, but um, it's only a cameo. only a cameo but this is the start right this is paul Thomas Anderson's first full feature film um but uh i didn't love samuel jackson in this this is early samuel i didn't like him in this and he looks weird i was looking at the poster for
0: this he's got like hair on the side it's not completely bald he's got the mustache it does it's not the samuel jackson we come to know and love
1: yeah and i think it all comes together at the end very interesting like with what happens like with each of these characters, like their backstories that you don't really find out to the end, but this movie just gets so boring at times and you just go too many times. Let's get this movie going. Let's get going. Let's get going. Is it
0: a slow burn or just doesn't ever get going?
1: I think it's a slow burn. Like it, it's, it's like, you go to Atlantic city, I believe or Vegas, I forget which one. Um, and it's basically based in a casino the entire time, but they're not really gambling. Like they're learning like how to like make this a living. Like it's very weird. Um, and it's kind of too slow for a slow burn like for me when it's involving gambling and in a casino not like a car counter at all it's not nothing like that i know we that, that's about that, that's right? a slow that's burn a slow it's burn like, this isn't like that because there's like an inciting hour. incident that's like with gwyneth paltrow's character it's like whoa okay we're getting i going. didn't even
0: know gwyneth paltrow was in this movie that's a, that sounds awesome
1: yeah but uh john c. Early, Riley gwyneth paltrow john c riley phil baker hall like this is their movie mainly i would say actually mainly baker halls that's and- what i've heard Mm-hmm. And um, I really do like him. And this is one of my favorite PTA acting performances. But as a movie, as a whole, definitely lower on these rankings. Um, personally, in the mid-70s for me, uh, but really do like the movie. My personal number seven PTA rankings, but for the list here, eight.
0: Fascinating. I've, I've always been wanting to see Hard Eight. It's always on Amazon Prime, right? When I look it on the main page next to Inherent Feist. I went to go last night to look. Both are missing, and it says $2.99 to rent. I'm like, I cannot spend $6 here when I could just rewatch the will be blood in the master.
1: You can't. You, you made the right choice.
0: Right. Now, we move on to number seven. This is my number seven. I had Punch Drunk Love, that of Sandler. Uh, a PTA movie from the early 2000s, one that followed Magnolia. One that's much more small scale. Um, Sandler at a time where we didn't think he could put together such a performance, one that he is so contained in the first half of the movie then absolutely unleashing in the second half. Uh, Ricky Flicks, what do you think about uh, my take with Punch Drunk Love at number seven?
1: Yeah, this is just so interesting because Magnolia, what do you think of Magnolia besides how weird it is? It's a three-hour epic and then right after that, it's like Paul Thomas Anderson goes, all right, let's just make a quick 90-minute rom-com here and so true and it's weird because uh just like reading about this movie yeah paul thomas anderson always wanted to work with adam sandler um i guess and tom cruise on the set of magnolia just called adam sandler with paul thomas anderson and that's what started the relationship there so it's just kind of weird definitely different pace for, for paul thomas anderson than his other serious flicks or uh the mystique around it definitely definitely a different pace clearly not just the runtime, but the rom-com elements, but man, like for me, this is my number eight. I have heartache eight above it, but like, honestly, I'm, I'm okay with this being at number seven too. Like either way, it's still definitely
0: not, not in my top six. So I went on a PTA marathon before we started this uh, ranking. Uh, I watched obviously licorice pizza. I went through, there will be blood boogie nights. And what else is streaming punch drunk love. And it is such a, an anomaly an outlier an outcast with so many of these movies uh as you said before it's like pta just responds to this to his audience like i just made a three and a half hour epic with intertwining stories let's just get simple with the next film and it's almost like a tarantino aspect there's a lot of like comparisons between pta and tarantino their rise at similar times in the in the 90s but having a out of place actor like sandler take on this short like dramatic role i think it was like that's like a thing tarantino would have done you know take such a popular yeah. actor and like put him in a place where he may not be most comfortable but i mean also we got to have a barry egan all-time glass smashing character
1: like that definitely this movie got him anger management with jack Nicholson
0: <laughs> yeah sure. it just lined up perfectly
1: <laughs> it, that that definitely was, it the was case. like a year after yep and then uh i will say wedding singer what was that 87 88 something like that um, no it's like 99, 99 oh geez. <laughs> whatever that was it
0: just takes place in like 87
1: right right right, right so definitely the suit in that was uh probably like oh looking at him in that suit it's like all right let's put adam
0: sandler in a blue suit the entire movie so, right. it's addicted to the blue suit. But uh alongside Emilio Estevez, probably like best like glass smashing scene. <laughs> like it, and what could have been in licorice pizza by the way. Um all right, I'm glad we're on the same page there, much more small scale PTA film. Not and no mean by no means a bad film. It's just a uh, much more small in scale compared to the rest of his filmography. Rom-com. It is a rom-com and uh it's just I just love seeing Adam Sandler as this more contained figure compared to like his Billy Madison, little Nicky days, you know, um, moving on to number six. What do you, what do you have uh, Ricky flex?
1: So this was my, this was uh, the toughest. I think this is the tough. Yeah. This was the toughest uh, decision for me. Uh, what would be number six and then the top five, because I think the top six are in a different league of their own versus the seven through nine in my opinion.
0: Yes, I agree. Much tougher decisions need to be made. And I picked Licorice Pizza at number six. Ooh, we disagree. So Licorice
1: Pizza, like I said, the highest rated movie I have this year, barely. I think it's great. But I think what's lacking is the memorable moments and the iconic moments that the rest of the top five has. And I think a lot of that has to do with the stars that are leading these other top five movies that licorice pizza lacks. And over time, perhaps licorice pizza becomes that in the future. If Cooper Hoffman or Alana Heim just take off or some of these things, um, like I said, in the review, this is a movie that you definitely have to rewatch and you want to rewatch, but you definitely have to have to rewatch. And then hopefully over time, those memorable, they become memorable moments. But I just feel like for right now, I'm not going to go recency bias. I'm just going to go number six outside my top five licorice pizza.
0: I think mine might be recency bias. Cause I actually have licorice pizza number four on my list. Number four wow. on my list. But I think you bring, you bring up an interesting topic regarding time with like PTA movies. There are a few of them. Like if, going by like decades go by and they're just like certified classics like maybe even more so than the time they were released where it's like the reception of them it only grows in legend movies like boogie nights and there will be blood like there will be blood it's just like a ma- it was looked at as a masterpiece when it came out but now it's looked on like in the same vein as like the greatest movies that have ever been made ever been made you know what i mean boogie nights probably at the time it came out it was like oh this is kind of new you get a young exciting star with mark Wahlberg, right you get a couple oscar nominations but a lot of people, this is their favorite PTA movie with like Boogie Nights. So just it, they lash. Definitely. So it's like recency bias. We might get a little excited, but there's certainly a chance Licorice Pizza has that capability to enter that top pantheon of PTA movies. I personally had number six. I had Magnolia.
1: Interesting. That was my number five.
0: Okay, so this so is interesting. If, so it's we just can hence what we have at you, what you have in your number four, and what I have at my number five
1: right? Okay, is that but, how we decide this? Well, no, I think I think it's settled, right? If your number four is licorice pizza, my number six is licorice pizza, then just split the difference and put that at number five. And then okay. you have Magnolia at six. I have Magnolia at five.
0: So it'd be Magnolia? Is Magnolia we're at about?
1: six, licorice pizza at five.
0: I'm okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's how so it was, would be done. Let's talk a little bit about Magnolia. You're a huge Tom Cruise guy. Was he robbed of an Oscar for this film?
1: Absolutely robbed. Uh, Yes. Absolutely. Was it Michael Caine? Michael Caine won his second Oscar for Cider House. Not his first, his second. Old man Oscar. But it was his second. It made no sense. It made no sense why he beat out Tom Cruise for this. I mentioned that the vanilla sky was the true turning point of Tom Cruise going all action blockbuster. But this is like the, his last chance at an Oscar, the true last chance. Um, But Magnolia, Amazing movie. Oh, very sad. Like, this movie is just sad. Depressing movie. For three hours, that's tough to go by. Julia so,
0: Moore's character? Holy crap. I guess it's just, like, Tom, painful to say, watch.
1: Tom Cruise's character. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Philip Baker Hall's character.
0: Every character is just the sad kid story. who pees his pants in front of Philip Baker Hall at the game show. That is one of the most painful scenes to watch in, like, most, like, anxiety-inducing and just makes yeah. you want to just turn it off immediately. And it's just w- terrible. William H. Macy's
1: character wanted to get braces when he's like a grown, a grown man with a kid. Just such a deep movie for being and very sad. And for three hours, that's just a lot. With all these right. interwinding storylines, which I thought were uh, very, very well-developed. Like, very, very good job. Amazing. Just too sad for an epic. And it's probably that, like, beforehand, PTA was just like, I have an idea that's going to work but it's not going to work for everybody, and it checks every checkbox that you want to have in a movie, and then it has frogs coming out of the sky. Right? <laughs> it's, it's just it, like what's like going he, on here. He
0: he put it's almost like he has such a great self recognition. This is kind of like Tarantino, where he knows if he has this very realistic, daunting type of movie, and then he just randomly has this scene of frogs dropping out of the air, like a la like octopus in Watchmen. It's like that's going to be it's going to like automatically be ingrained in audiences memory and it's going to be analyzed for years to come. You know, it's just that self-recognition aspect. And like, that's like what I think of other than Tom Cruise and spandex absolutely doing like the, uh, uh, I don't know. I just like basically having these like big Tony Robbins S <laughs> like sex seminars and about toxic masculinity. Right. It's just like that and frogs falling out of the air, you know, just how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just such a weird movie and it works very well. It's just for three hours long. It's very deep, yeah, very twisty. It's
0: stuff. like opening up a short like a book of short stories when, when you you have to be like yeah. will it, you can like honestly stop watching at certain points because like okay, like I can take a break here we're gonna go into a different character, this or that. Some parts of the story are much more engaging than others in my opinion, but it's just so damn long. It is so damn long. I even put it as an unrewatchable when I, uh, on the blog series just because I'm not willing to sit through nearly four hours of that story once again. And
1: uh, it's just depressing. it's just tough.
0: I will just watch the highlights on YouTube of Tom Cruise.
1: Yeah, <laughs> honestly, yeah. Good highlight so, for him.
0: So it seems like we have Licorice Pizza at number five with Magnolia at six. Okay, Ricky Flux, what do you have at number four?
1: I have Phantom Thread at four.
0: Okay, so I have Phantom Thread at five. So that's going to be cemented as our number four. Okay. Talk, talk to me about Phantom Thread.
1: I think, honestly, I, if you said it was at three, I would have said okay. If you if he, if he did say it was at three. I think that it's incredibly underrated. It's a movie that brought, arguably, the greatest actor of all time out of retirement. I think just saying that is something that should be, that should be more stated in Hollywood. It brought Daniel Day Lewis out of retirement because it was that good. After he played Lincoln,
0: after he played (laughs) Abraham Lincoln, five years later, play a fashion designer in Britain, nineteen fifties. What?
1: It's yeah, exactly. It's not a sexy role. It's not going to appeal to the broad audience. Not going to appeal to almost everybody. But then somehow this movie is just pure art, and I think that's why it just gets underrated. And I think. Yeah. Like, like you say, he's playing a woman's fashion designer in the fifties and you, what do you think of PTA moves? You talked about the soundtracks and the camera work and like the lighting and all these different things. This movie, like, it's just, honestly, it, it doesn't have like the PTA, like it does have the PTA isms that we talk about, but it's just not as like pop culture attractive or sexy. So it's not going to grab the audience. It's gonna, not going to grab the typical viewer uh, right. of movies today. So Honestly, love this movie. I picture, uh, what was his name again? Something, something very funny. Uh, uh, I
0: uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't. I, I watched very it. I've only, name. it time. I've only seen it one time. Only seen one time.
1: I remember, like,
0: I remember texting you afterwards saying I actually loved it though.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's better, even better on a rewatch when you pick up certain things. But um, it like the character reminds me of like a Daniel Plainview and an Abe Lincoln, two characters like in those movies that uh, Daniel Day Lewis played. And it, it's just obsessive,
0: I, you know, obsessive
1: like so determined with his work, nothing's going to get in his way, he wants to be alone. But then again, like
0: something comes in along calm, his cool. way that like, you know, distracts him a little bit and he wants to be like focused eye on the prize. They like talk about Daniel Plainview where you have his son, like you have phantom threat. He's, he's got like his potential partner, right? Like his right. girlfriend, the one who's his like inspiration, but he also finds her to be a distraction to everybody else. So I, I totally don't understand what you're saying there.
1: Yeah. So I love this movie. So underrated. If you, if you said if it was your third, I'll be like, fine, it's It's the third. But nope, you have it at five, I have it at four. Let's put it at four.
0: And it feels like it, – it almost feels like PTA and Daniel Day-Lewis came together and they said, we're going to blow people's mind in a topic they would – if they read the synopsis, they'd want to just like shut – like basically hit backspace on everything that was just typed out or that they read, you know? It's like we're going to take something about – dressmaking and make it abs- an absolute banger and so it's like it's almost must watch and the acting is so on point and all the shots and the lighting are are freaking perfect yeah and like it's it's great with that also like the dressmaking scenes are incredible but the new year's eve scene probably the most iconic
1: it, that or uh yeah the 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 the, the poison the yep okay the poison scene that that was pretty uh that was like a whoa we did not see that coming even though it was so obvious and um just for the audience here. Reynolds Woodcock is the guy's name. Yeah, there it is. In the book that you gave me, like, there's a brief, like, a uh, like a uh, like. There's a whole thing about the Phantom Thread, like the movie. I haven't mm-hmm. read that part yet. I haven't that uh, haven't gone that deep in the book yet. But there's like a little snippet that uh, the author mentions about how the name came about, and it's just PTA and Dana day Lewis just texting back and forth at like just names. <laughs> Saying what's a nineteen fifties one person's like, It's in the name? book? What's like a formal person's like British name that you would say? And like they would just like continually text each other, just laughing about the names they would send each other. <laughs> and then they would just say, How about Reynolds? And then someone goes, like, what about would this or would that? And then someone's like Woodcock. And they go, Reynolds, Woodcock. That sounds too perfect. And then they yes. use it.
0: That's in the book though, like the screenshots of those messages.
1: Not the screenshots, just like Summarizing that, like oh, okay. they're laughing back imagine? and forth, text
0: messaging. <laughs> what would the what would the what would the gifts be like? What would the gifts are they sending Emojis? back and forth? Yeah. Emojis. <laughs> like they, do you think they both have? <laughs> do you think Daniel like Day Lewis an has a smartphone? It's an eggplant.
1: Daniel Day Lewis has a smartphone. Yeah, that might I could be see it. him having a flip phone.
0: Oh yeah, no, he's got like a, a chocolate or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> BlackBerry. <laughs> That's it. No, he definitely has a BlackBerry for sure, and he still uses the pen. Yep. Yeah. Um. So. We are now down to the top three, Ricky Flex, and this is where – oh, four. No, three. Three, three. three. Excuse me. It, sorry, I'm getting confused looking at my own list and what we also um, deciphered here. So number three we have left. There will be Blood, The Master, and Boogie Nights. This is where it gets tough. Ricky Flex, what did you have as your number three on in your PTA rankings?
1: I had Boogie Nights at three.
0: So did I. This is tough though. Wow, I, you
1: had boogie nights at three. I thought I you was, would have it at two.
0: I was about I'm honestly, you know, for the sake of argument, yeah. I'm gonna put it at two, just so we can uh come to a come to a come to a head here and we I, can make a final list. Let's let's make our arguments for both.
1: I view this as the people's favorite, right? I kind like of you, you mentioned you mentioned uh like Tarantino as a comp to PTA, right? And it's funny because Reservoir Dogs, uh obviously. Full uh, feature debut for Tarantino directing. That was like his breakout movie, and then after that was Pulp Fiction. And Pulp Fiction, obviously, that was like his sophomore like breakout. Like, wow, this guy is the real deal. He's not a one and done with this indie Reservoir Dogs. And one of the people, uh, the per- the person that basically uh, put up Boogie Nights, um, he put up like fifteen million for the budget for Boogie Nights, is someone that passed on Reservoir Dogs. Wow. And he said, I'm not passing up on the next Tarantino, basically. And he obviously hard eight already ma- was made a couple of years earlier. And he's like, all right, I'm going to bankroll Boogie Nights. And you have Mark Wahlberg, the Calvin Klein underwear model playing a porn star. And then you have a huge cast Perfect. like they have like Burt Reynolds, John C. Riley, who was in hard eight. And then all these other guys, William Julia Jace, Moore. Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman again, like everybody and like 70s like porn industry, Hollywood, San Fernando Valley, but also like you got the club scenes, the music already we the greatest soundtrack of all time. Amazing. Sex appeal, Marky Mark dancing, whatever. But for me, I think it's a great movie, but it does. Like it, it never loses my interest. It just gets kind of like, what the heck are we doing a little bit? Like Don Shields character third like, act too. Yeah. Like it's just kind of like loses its way a little bit. And I think the first two acts, especially like the middle of the second acts, like, wow, like this movie is really taken off and is so much fun. Similar to Pulp Fiction where it's like, wow, this movie is just so much fun, but it's also so good. Like, wow, it's actually a great movie. But then the third act kind of like falters a little bit. It loses its way, especially towards the end. So that's why it just can't crack the top two, because I think the top two are near masterpieces. Uh, no pun intended with the master there. Um, so that's why it's number
0: three for me. So I was, the reason I put it technically at number three, and I would have put it at number two is that Boogie Nights kind of lives in the shadow of Pulp Fiction, in my opinion, where it's a sophomore, like addition for this all time, like director, this, this one that was breaking molds. That's a different, that almost feels like it's in the same genre of Pulp Fiction with PTA and Tarantino. Okay. With Boogie Nights. I just feel like it tried to be off the walls at the end in the third act, similar to like you it, the unpredictability of a Pulp Fiction with the, the differing timelines and then like the drug scenes and then like the like kind of like the pulpy aspect of it. No pun intended. But and pop culture aspect, you know what I'm talking about? I think like the soundtrack, I think it falls in the same category as uh, Pulp yeah. Fiction. And it, it's just like, and it came after it. So it's like, I can't say this is the best edition of a pta movie because it's kind of like the best of what tarantino would have done you know what i mean and it's not as good as pulp fiction
1: i agree I, I agree i definitely see what you're saying and i think it goes back to the production of it because hard eight his first the one before this one uh, boogie nights his first full feature there was a lot of studio meddling it didn't get edited the way he wanted to get edited and he said pta was that his next movie it was going to be like his full control and he was looking for someone to do that i forget who the produced whoever produced um and bankrolled boogie nights but basically he said yes i'm looking for the next tarantino you do whatever you want he basically was looking for the next pulp fiction so i could definitely see what you're saying there and definitely like his first try like having full control you can see where he kind of loses his way a little bit like we were just talking about but then again it's still an amazing movie and something that's just such a like we i talked about memorable memorable moments and how, like, in Lic- Licorice Pizza, compared to the other ones, it doesn't have it. this one, you have so many memorable moments that it kind of overshadows that it's not a perfect film, but it's very close.
0: It kind of hijacks, like, that idea of spontaneity, spontaneity. Did I pronounce that right? Spontaneity? I don't know. Spontaneousness. Okay. Of like, okay. uh, like, Pulp Fiction. Like, it's like, it, with that drug scene, Alfred Molina at the end, it kind of seems so off no. the off the walls and doesn't seem like it fits directly with the movie that's where it feels like to me where it's like pulp fiction all of a sudden you have like bruce willis at the end with ving rames and then like him breaking him out like it's just like whoa what the hell's going on right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah but it had the randomness where we had not seen that in a movie it just didn't fit but it was so electric at the same time and they felt i felt like they were going for the same type of thing in boogie nights you know but it's just like i think what pta what he's so good at he's, he's he is. He can hit so many different genres and this one felt, and he can make it his own. This one felt like he was just doing something that's someone's already done kind of, you know, yeah. but I think also if I did to make the point why Boogie nights is at number two, right. It's because it has one yeah. of the rare feels of this Oscar prestige movie that keeps that feeling of a cult classic. Like how many people do you know who has, who have, like you, we love Boogie Nights. We'll put it on and stuff like that. Obviously, yeah. with permission. Like you have to tell everybody the synopsis before you just put it on in the middle <laughs> of a party. But there's a lot of people who haven't seen this movie yet. It's is the breakout role for Marky Mark and like PTA, such a re- recognizable director. That's it, I think it's kind of like the content of the movie that is kind of like people are kind of shy or like they. It's not like in regular conversation when you talk about movies because it's kind of like ooh, don't touch that, you know. So. In that in that regard, it's pretty unique.
1: Yeah, and I think like you said, the cultness of it. I think that's the real big differentiator yeah. here. And like like obviously, a PTA stands left and right because he's so good, and his movies are so different than other people, similar to like a Tarantino, and how he like, he has those those isms, right, that yep. we keep talking about. Boogie Nights is the definition of it. That is PTA. That is his full control, like I talked about earlier. Um, versus a hard eight where he didn't have full control. And this is his first real movie completely his. And he really falls to the wall, went after it. But I think just to put it back in the debate here, why it should be three and not two. And if you put it at four, I wouldn't even hate it. Is that, what are you going to rewatch? You're going to rewatch the first two acts of this, never the third act,
0: never. Yeah, Yeah, You you will rewatch the entire Phantom Thread. I, I think I've probably seen the third act of Boogie Nights twice. And I've seen the first two acts maybe 10 times. Yeah. Just because they're always on like HBO or it's on, or Dirt, I'll just, and it's, it's a long movie. It's a long movie. So like, I'll put it on Netflix and I'll call theme it.
1: here. Long movies. Even yeah. though he said that a two hour movie is the perfect length of a movie. Yeah, he has said just, that it multiple it just times. Never does
0: it. Yeah. Licorice pizza isn't that long. Is it? Uh, maybe it's, two it's and over and two hours, two and a half, two and a half, maybe two 18 or something. I, I really. think it's something like that. All it's, right. Uh, so I think 13. So if I had to assume we have the same two in one Ricky flex, since we had the same number three, the master number two, and then there will be blood at number one. All right, let's talk about what made the master a number two all-time PTA movie for you, Flex.
1: This this is easily top ten of the decade for me. Probably top five uh, for the 2010s. What was this a 2012 movie? Um, I think it's 2012. Yeah, 2012 is, movie. Wow. Just when you talk about psychological thrillers, you think of like a prisoners type thing, but this one's like not really a thriller, It's just all psychological, and yeah. it's all like, what are we doing here? And it has like those effects, like the sexiness, like oh, it's a cult, like it's uh, Philip Zimmer Hoffman, the the fa- like uh, he's, it's um, whoever the founder of Scientology is, it's like kind of following, it's loosely based off of that person, yeah. But uh, due to like at times, movies-
0: at times PTA has denied that, you know, well, they
1: really- had to deny it because. So I did get this far in the book that Good. you gave me. Um, they had to deny it because they wouldn't be able to get the movie made.
0: Ah, okay. So gotcha.
1: the producer, everybody like basically denied it, but basically said, yeah, it's loosely based. Like the, the boat, like the Scientologist that's loosely based off of had a boat, basically. Like the same mm. thing. and like all a the yacht other- type
0: of thing, right. high class, post-World War exactly. II. Exactly.
1: Literally everything that ha- happens, they like get basically off of it, except just to the weirdness and to get the audience intrigued to a higher level, basically. And then you have a Joaquin Phoenix's character where he's just, he's a liability to the cult. But then again, it's like proving that the cult is actually not just a cult. It's something that works, right? Right. Philip Seymour Hoffman trying to prove that like his ways like work, but then everyone else is like, this guy is going to make us like in trouble and then the cult's going to be gone. And then you got Amy Adams, like basically the real power the real leader behind it right like behind the scenes like powering Philip Seymour Hoffman to do all these different things there's so many layers to this movie that I think we talk about Magnolia being like the the development between the different storylines so perfectly but this one's like so concrete and clear but then again the psychological effects behind it make it so interesting where the rewatches just make it better every single time. And it's so good. And the acting, I didn't even get into the acting yet.
0: I think the acting is what carries this movie. in my it's opinion toward a tour de force. And I think it's obviously this like dog and owner relationship between Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. And it's hard to tell who is, who gets the better of one another or else, or the, if they just, it wouldn't work if one of them didn't have the other. I think that's almost what we're going for here, but it's just Philip Seymour Hoffman. This is my favorite role he's ever done. Like he's almost too convincing as a cult leader, too convincing as persuasiveness, and him based those one-on-one interviews with Joaquin. And Joaquin's physical acting in this movie is on another level. He holds that that like smirk the entire time right of this messed up individual falling World War II someone who's not well mentally then you got someone who if we look in the lens of today a lot of people would say Lancaster Dodd right Philip Seymour Hoffman that guy mentally ill cuz he's leading a Scientology cult right but he has this aura like the way he like carries himself in this movie and it's i think my one of my favorite scenes is obviously the interview scene is amazing when they go back and forth they're in prison they go back and forth it's great but Philip Seymour Hoffman, what I think of immediately is the singing scene when he, the Rover oh. during the master and he's yeah, clapping yeah. and he's dancing. I was like, damn, like that's like, his you deserve. That was the Oscar moment in my opinion. Cause I feel like the interview that's Joaquin's moment. He's slapping himself. That's where PTA is saying you guys got this. I'm going to step back, create some magic. I would love to see an hour's worth of that. Take right. Of that interview process. And it's just, you have that Scientologist looking at Joaquin as an animal. And there's like a scene in that movement right before that Joaquin puts on the headphones. Okay. And he's listening to the other interviews and there's other analysts that are listening to it that are part of the cult. And it's literally talking about how humans aren't a part of this like animal species or like this animal kingdom, like they aren't a part of it. And then he literally the next interview, he goes like, you are some type of animal, aren't you? It's just like, he's just not a regular person. And it's, it's literally a dog and master relationship. You know, it's, it's perfect.
1: I, the movie is amazing. And I think like the cult intrigue of it, make it like good for the Oscars and like audiences, like that Oscar appeal, but then like the weirdness of it, like yeah. using like women and like, obviously like the nurturing, like obviously like with the, the beach, they keep going back to the flashback of Joaquin hugging a bigger woman on the beach. And that could be mean so many different things. And throughout the movie, like, you're obviously thinking, like, you're thinking, like, all the, like, jerking off scenes. You're thinking of yeah, it's all the up. weird, like, naked women, like, in the dancing scene, the naked woman, then Amy Adams just staring at Joaquin while naked, the only person that recognizes what Joaquin's thinking right now. Things like yeah. that. that. But, like, all in all, it's just, like, that was great. wow. Like, what a movie. Like, the symbolism behind it. Very impressive from PTA. And I think also Amy Adams, I just... She got Oscar nominated for this movie as well. And I th- she was I
0: th- like, I think she was good in this movie, but like
1: compared to those other two, it's just you're right. not on that pedestal with them,
0: right? And it, I think it's more of like the writing and the way they portray her in the movie, where she's always watching Joaquin, and the camera's always on Amy Adams as Joaquin is looking on, doing things like, she, like she notices and realizes that Freddie Quell, like Joaquin's character is integral to the future of Lancaster Dodd, Philip Seymour Hoffman and like his cult, like they need him. And he's like the, and then it's where Joaquin is like the, the source of data for the second book, right? He's the source of data. And when he hears that guy trashing his book, he loses it because right. he's like, damn, like that was supposed to be my calling. I thought I like, he thought he found his calling post-World War II with this Scientologist group. So, and that's a whole nother part of this movie. That's so genius. like. No one explores this type of cult following post-World War II when people were most vulnerable and taken advantage of, right? And people were unsure in the world. It's just a genius, like, area to explore from PTA. Great movie. Great, great, great movie. Good stuff. So, Ricky, number one?
1: Without a doubt. Honestly, might be my (sighs) – It might be the best movie of the 21st century. And there
0: will be blood. I think I, I think you have a, e, you have a case to make easily the best performance and easily the best performance oh, Daniel, oh, Daniel Day. Yeah, of course. I just
1: like his. I think it's his best. I know a lot of people, my left foot people out there will be uh, will be clamoring right now. But I think it's his best Daniel Plainview. This movie has everything that you would ever want. And I think that it's honestly a perfect movie. It's it's close to perfect. Like if it's not a hundred, it's a ninety-nine out of hundred. I gave amazing.
0: it I literally rescored it after like, I watched it this week. I'm like, this is a ninety-nine out of hundred. The only thing I would have liked to see a little more Paul Dano, but other than that, it's pretty much perfect. I, I think
1: it has a perfect amount of Paul Dano.
0: I think oh, it does. Man. He kind of I, I, I don't know, he disappears a little bit in the between the second and third act. But like I, the, the third act is so good, you know, like that, fi- that final, that final scene, I should say.
1: But yeah, we talk about like the Daniel Day Lewis performance, but I think the rivalry between Paul Dano and him, Eli and Daniel Planview, Eli Sunday and, and Daniel Planview is just something. I drink your milkshake. I drink, I take my straw and drink your milkshake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, man, it has the lines, the memorable moments as well on top of that. And Daniel Day, you could tell like he's just in one. He's in one. The lit, le- like, and also, from a directing standpoint and also an actor standpoint, the little minuscule things such as like the limp is getting worse throughout the movie, right? The first scene of the movie is like when he breaks his leg looking for silver, but he discovers uh, the oil. But then the last scene of the movie, when he's about like with the bowling alley, you can, can see walk. he's, he can barely walk. He's sleeping on floors still. So you could still, he always sleeps on floors. So that's where he's most comfortable. He's eating like steak with his hands even though he lives in
0: this mansion and he's like the oil like uh, the oil like master down there like the life never leaves you bro the life never leaves you and like as no matter how successful you are you are at the at the core the same person and like then you have like the themes that he talks about with like religion and capitalism Mm -hmm. and like how faithful are those that are actually say they're devout Right in their faith, like these priests and whatever, and these people that claim themselves to be righteous. How righteous are they actually? And yeah. Paul Dano, I feel like this is his best performance ever. I like, in my opinion, I, it, oh. I, that's that's a lot. And I don't, We'll see what he does in the Batman. Uh, he's <laughs> great. And he's he's had a lot of great performances. It's freaking yeah. Paul Dano. But the same thing at the same time, he's so overshadowed by Daniel Day Lewis because I think you're right. This is like the greatest acting performance in the 21st century. Like he is scary good in this movie, and he and he—it's almost like he took Bill the Butcher in Gangs in New York, made him more reserved, but crank up the performance to a ten. Right? Yeah. Made him more reserved. He still has that like uh ten like uh, tenacity to him, and he has that like don't don't mess with me type of attitude, and he'll burn you if he has to, but in a way that he still is like this owner of this corporation in a more modern world. Like I, I, I think it's fantastic. It's Bill a butcher, but better.
1: Yeah. I love that comparison. And on, I also did a rewatch of this before this uh, ranking here. And I think on the second time around, like I was sympathetic towards Eli e Sunday. I didn't like the first few times I've seen this, but this was like the first time I was like, no, this guy's a fake. He is, he is a false prophet. Like you oh, are. Oh my God! Him
0: going balls to the wall in the chapel. You know, yeah, like
1: like you would net like you are so fake. And then like at the end when like you would never admit that you are fake, but you do it anyways because you want a hundred thousand dollars. You are a sinner. You are not a prophet. You're a. And I thought that was perfect. And then I love how Tanya Blythe was just like I already drilled those. Like I already drilled them.
0: He just
1: drained him. him. Just his patience and him going through like, Hey, I'll lose this battle. And I abandoned my boy. Like he will lose that battle so he could win the war. And that's what he did. And if I do have to put a critique on the movie, I will say the, what, after he does abandon, abandon his boy, the, all of a sudden the three shot comeback of his boy, like you have three shots, him coming back, you have him getting older and then getting married. And then, the uh, one-on-one confrontation, saying I'm leaving. Yep. I think that leaving scene's awesome. Saying like, so sad. Sad, but like amazing to watch. But the other two, I think, aren't as effective. And then I would say the other critique I have with the movie is the fake brother. The fake brother. I think. Oh they, yeah,
0: I agree. That is kind of a weakness of the movie. I do think yeah.
1: that that I thought on I this
0: think It re- shouldn't. It, it, it didn't seem like it should have persuaded. Daniel Day Lewis as much as because he, he doesn't he care. He abandoned his boy. <laughs> like he wouldn't have cared. I felt like you put on the accent there, but yeah, <laughs> it didn't seem like he cared about him as much in this movie. You know, so, but that, yeah, I agree. Great point. I interrupted you, but I think I was no, I, I, was, I was picking I was, up with what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I just think that that's like kind of like where it loses me a little bit. Like obviously, you have to have like an inciting. You have to have an inciting incident to turn. So he has to go to towards the uh, the owner that last person to get that, to finish out the pipeline, he had to have something there. So that's kind of like the, the story that PTA used. I think you could have at least made it better or done something else, but Daniel Plainview, view, like he, like I said, he was willing to sacrifice, like send his boy away so he could finish his pipeline. You're telling me he's going to get duped by this guy for, I don't know how long or whatever that we're doing here. Like, I just don't believe it. And I do think that's probably like the weakest point of the movie but all in all, this movie you could argue is the best of the 21st century. And I wouldn't complain. Definitely the best performance in my eyes. This movie was the number one, was always going to be the number one. I would have argued it until I died. Best PTA movie.
0: Great ever. point. Great. Yeah. Great points. Like you just you sold that to be hard. And then I think also what what like to talk about the technical aspects of this movie? Like the sound is so damn good. The first movie. it's amazing. It's the first like, 20
1: minutes, he, no one says anything. There's no dialogue. Need,
0: yeah, you don't need it. You just don't need it. It just sounds perfect the way it is. Yes. So that is our number 1. Let's go through the list again. So at number 9 we have inherent vice. Number 8 we have heartache. eight. Number 7 we have punch drunk love. Number 6 we have licorice pizza. Number 5 we have magnolia. Number 4 phantom thread. Number 3 boogie nights. Number 2 the master. And number one, there will be blood. Ricky Flux, how do you think we did with our list?
1: So wait, just to be clear, will we have a six and will we have a five? You have Magnolia at six or five?
0: No, we had licorice pizza, I thought. nine, eight, I, seven. I had
1: licorice pizza at six personally, but I thought we decided. So we did Magnolia good. ahead of it? Because you had licorice pizza at four. I had it at six. So I said, okay, we'll put that at five and we'll put Magnolia at six.
0: So Magnolia six, licorice pizza five. I'm okay with that because I had licorice pizza. I know, yeah. I
1: think we like split the difference there. I must have
0: misread you there. My fault. All right, so we switched those up. All right, so Magnolia at six, licorice pizza at five. I like that because I obviously for reasons I already said. I I
1: think once you see Hard Eight, you'll like. I don't know if you'll change your mind on Punch Drunk Love because Punch Drunk Love's just a fun movie. But uh, I think the only thing I could see this list changing would be like fan of Threat at three. I'm, I'm telling you, if you haven't watched that movie, I want to rewatch watch,
0: it. It's uh, so I, good. I've watched four of these nine in the past like, four days. So I'll just like, <laughs> con- I'll just continue like the run, right? Continue the marathon. Okay. Uh, did a good job. I think we did. And it's a great uh, collaboration by us. And we come to an agreement with uh, that six, five, four spots. You know, it's seven. not easy. Like all these movies are something special, something special, special. <laughs> That's going to do it for our PTA rankings. And that's going to do it for episode 71 of the Drive In Podcast. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you may listen, whether it be Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever it may be. Subscribe to the blog for all funny blogs that are coming out, okay? Reviews, okay? Rankings. You'll even get the random potpourri going on in there. Uh, not to mention, follow us on our socials, right? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at the Drive-In Podcast. That's going to be Dr. O signing off and Ricky Flick signing off for episode 71. Until next time, we will smooth.